Hobie Darling has uh, always been an enigma to me. His presence in both, you know, let's just say the physical and the theoretical and the commercial worlds and the world of social sciences, um, it just blows me away how much he accomplishes. Uh, and I, th I think we knew of each other via the sort of fitness world back in the day, but originally met when he invited me to participate um, on a panel uh, at the Logitech Cognitive Performance Summit in 2019. And I think there's been a couple of more of these um, that he and his fellow uh, explorers, let's say, at the Liminal Collective. Um, but in that particular uh, discussion was uh, all about the influence of the natural environment on creative output. And um, I was there, I guess, as a climber, and um, there was another young lady there who was an astronaut. There was a, a girl who had sailor, sailed her boat uh, across the Atlantic, I think, by herself. Anyway, it was an amazing collection of minds and conversations that absolutely exhausted me, made me sleep 13 hours that night. Anyway, so that uh, episode of the Dissect podcast, which is what this was called back then, uh, appeared as episode 67. And we're putting it out again um, because I don't think it was, you know, we had enough audience members back then. And I think there are many important concepts in this conversation that are worth revisiting right now, especially after everything that has happened in the four years since this podcast first aired. Some things predicted, some things just happened and, you know, tied a few pieces together um, f for us. And also right now at Nonprofit, we're um, deep in rewriting a couple of print things, creating a new print thing, um, working on cleaning up and fine-tuning some of the digital aspects of our project, as well as doing some renovation and construction on the building itself. So all of that has uh, drained off a lot of creative energy and pre um, actually prevented us from recording conversations with the frequency that we once insisted upon. So here's um, kind of a look back. And uh, as I re-listened to this podcast today, I was blown away by how deep it went, how quickly. I mean, I think we were talking about theoretical physics within the first 15 minutes. And uh, that was Michael's fault, of course. And also examining some conclusions that we had reached then that, uh, you know, bear looking at again. And until we can get Hobie back on the podcast for a, a second visit uh, in person, this is going to have to do. And I hope you read through the introduction that was rewritten and maybe use it as a companion piece to sort of follow along as this conversation develops. It's a good one. So dig in. All right, that sound, which no one else can hear but me, um, <laughs> anybody else who has headphones on in this studio, means we are about to uh, record another conversation in the Dissect Podcast studio. Um, We've missed a good chunk already, like a, a good hour of things. So that was the warm-up. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> which, which we... Which we 
seem to do all the time. Mm. But you can't just usher mm. someone that you you know don't have a lot of um, experience talking to, uh, which is the case today. Um, Hobie Darling is here with us, and um, I, uh, I, I we don't need to know anything about your background unless you want to talk about it because because right off the you know right out of the gate today um, walked into the space and we started talking about the you know, the, 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 the marriage of, um, physicality and creativity. Mm. <laughs> and I think that's kind of how it started, but it, um, but we had a, uh, Hobie and I had an interesting experience two weeks ago. Yeah, I think that's uh, exactly right. <laughs> at, um, at, out in, uh, San Francisco at, uh, the cognitive performer summit or mm-hmm. event. I don't even know technically what it was like, but uh, all, all I can say is that in the in a twenty four hour period, the number and quality of conversations that I had left me exhausted for about. I mean, I got home Saturday night and slept for thirteen hours. Like <laughs> I was so ruined. You know, I, Uber drivers like, where are you going? And like, home. <laughs> Doesn't my smartphone tell you that? Yeah, I can just <laughs> shut up. <laughs> So, and it was, I mean, the, the, the caliber of the presentations and the, and the people who were there was absolutely amazing. I mean, it was a, 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 an amazing event actually put on by the Liminal Collective, which is the organization that you're involved with now, yeah, I guess. Yeah, exactly. I mean, well, and I think you were, I mean, on, you were on a panel, so I mean, you know it well, and I think it goes with this space exactly as you talked about it, Mark. But it was this idea of how do we first start off with what does the science of performance look like? Right. And a, and a lot of what you guys have based your careers on of how do we get rid of, you know, there's sort of this fluff out there and there's garbage and every day there's a new idea about what we do, but none of it really backed in the science. So how do we start in that foundation? But then how do we expand on that to go? We know science is going to be years old, right? I mean, it yeah. takes multiple years to get through a scientific process, mm-hmm. to do all the tests, to actually have it peer reviewed, et cetera. And so we know whether it's people like both of you, where we go, how do we then expand that to the best subject matter practitioners in the world, mm-hmm. right? People who have done these things. And then I think the thing that you brought up, which is the part we always try to do and a big part of Liminal, but is that how do you then fill a room with people that look at this issue opportunity in completely different ways, right? And so yeah. whether that's you end up going, you know, I think you said it of, oh my gosh, I got to see all the old special forces guys that I used to do things with. Yeah. But right next to it's a dancer mm-hmm. yeah. and right next to it's a creative and right next to it's a teacher and right next to it's a CEO that, and, you know, just took zoom public. And then like a peek into the esport world mm-hmm. or the world of esport, which, mm-hmm. you know, I had no, you know, only a, you know, a, my, my stereotypical response from the outside of, you know, whatever th- th- that might be about, oh, it's not a sport because you know, we're physical, you know, or whatever. But then, and to realize that some of these games, are, I mean, are mm. going on for 16 hours or days or mm-hmm. whatever. And, and it got that, that it is so intense that people are flaming out at 20 years old, you know, with adrenal fatigue and, you know, just from, and, and just cooked. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, okay, well, this is has all the hallmarks of participation in sport, mm-hmm. and at a level that just, I mean, I I don't think I could even see what they were seeing on the monitor if mm-hmm. I was sitting next to someone who was playing. I mm-hmm. don't believe my brain is mm. um, shaped for or adapted to that. Mm-hmm. That was an amazing, you know, view into something that exists and will, you know 
is only going to get more intense. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think you hit it because you can say, are esports truly traditional sports? Are they real sports? I don't know. Maybe they are. Maybe they aren't. I think what we know is when you glimpse into the future Mm. and you go, what does the future look like, whether that's across national security, whether that's across robotics Mm -hmm. and high-performance medicine, whether that's across education, and you go, we are going to be doing these things in different ways than we're doing them today. There are more efficient ways to do it. And I think you see it, you know, we had at, at the conference, and so you saw it, Mark, but, you know, one of the pioneers in robotics heart surgery yes and and you think about that and and essentially what was happening is you would normally take a heart surgeon in a operating room and you know they would dive in cut open the chest stop the heart do some things restart the heart stitch you back up a very invasive process right and then you talk about what dr balky's doing at the university of chicago and going in and it literally looks like he's playing a video game mm-hmm. in a corner but instead of that recovery being a multi-month recovery, high-risk surgery, it now becomes potentially a couple-day recovery, lowers it. And you go, so now, you know, that guy who's one of the top heart surgeons in the world now looks like a gamer. What yeah. does that mean? Oh, and the most fascinating thing to me about his presentation was when he started discussing the, the loss of haptic response, you know, mm-hmm. of, of, of input. Like, okay, when I'm cutting, when, I'm, when, it, when my hands were on the tools and I was actually doing these manipulations, I would have this, this haptic feedback. Mm-hmm. And, and he said, and I don't have that with the robot. And I'm just going to call it mm-hmm. a robot for lack of a better term. But mm-hmm. I don't have that with a robot. But as I did it long enough... My eyes began giving the haptic feedback to my 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 fingertips uh, mm-hmm. in a si- similar way than when it was an actual physical mm-hmm. form of feedback, yeah. and I that just I just sat in my chair probably for five minutes after that and missed whatever he said as I was thinking about the plasticity of the human organism. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I think that's real. That's actually like a fascinating part of adaptation, and when you question like how do you identify real sport we're usually talking about the basic form where somebody's like i am the player of the game and i am on the field and i catch the ball and i make this action happen but if you back away because it it obviously is a play of military intelligence and military action and ability whatever Mm -hmm. um, whenever you back away the person on the ground is just a piece on a board and the farther back you get of the meta version of whatever we're looking at, the, the board, you're always going to have a brain behind it. And then the controller becomes less and less important in the strategy mm-hmm. and the other things. So it, uh, there is this weird thing where we appreciate generally the wrong person for the accomplishment of something. It's like whatever, like the perfect example, movies that portray real or as close to real military action that has happened in the past or military characters are represented on screen and those actors get more compensation and more accolades than the people that actually did the thing in the first place which okay now in retrospect that's fucking stupid but it happened and we do it anyway because we get to live through them and this is like sport we get to live through people's actions but if we can back away and notice that that brain part is really important then almost everything becomes a sport when it involves a high amount of input output Mm -hmm. like if i put more input or i'm creating moves or i'm causing an effect in this game that we're playing that we set arbitrary rules for suddenly 
you have phenomenal things happen to the human brain. Like what you're describing is just synesthesia. Like I am taking one form of um, sensory input and my brain needs to adapt to have a higher sensitivity. So it uses a different field to manage that. And that's that's so weird. You see it in musicians though, where musicians will report, no, I can see the sound. Mm -hmm. Like, what do you mean? And you're like, I can see sound waves. Like I can feel them hit me and I can imagine, like I can actually form a visual field where now, instead of having to run the octaves of being, you know, count the beat and, and the pulse to get that thing on point, I can see it. So now I can time it differently because now I don't have to hear it. I can hear and, what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. I can see what I need to do. And you're like, oh, shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, well, that's... What? I, I have to hop in on this yeah, one, yeah, sure. I, please, because I love because I think it goes to something we were talking about earlier, and and whether it's in this space that you guys have here, but this idea, you know, that you brought up that is traditionally we have been very focused on the physical. Mm. I can see it; it's the person on the field, you know, or the operator or whatever. But it's very visual to me as a human. What is going on? Yeah, and then you pull that forward and you go, okay, let's look at the physical part of that most of the people performing those physical actions are pretty similar, Mm. right? If I take someone, whether it's a climber or someone in the NBA or someone in the NFL, and I look at their stats as a physical Mm. person, and I go, you know what? Here's what a center in the NBA looks like. They're six foot 10, (laughs) they weigh 285 pounds, they have a vertical leap of this. They're all pretty much the same, but why are some of them great, right? And I think that's where this is shifting that it starts to go, Mm. hey, we're thinking about physicality now into I'd call cognition. But the answer to your question is Phil Jackson. (laughs) Always. (laughs) Always. Why are they so great? Phil Jackson. Yeah. (laughs) You know, know, and so you start to see, I think, this flip. And I Mm. think, at least for me personally, this is why gaming, I think, has been interesting to pull back on that thread for a second. Is you go, I would be very open to say if you would have talked to me 10 years ago, and so what do you think about esports? I would have gone, that's the kid on Friday night eating Doritos that can't doesn't, you know, doesn't have the ability whoa, to have whoa, a whoa. date. It's technically called game fuel and it's made by Monster Energy. <laughs> okay. Whatever. I thought that was Mountain Dew, but oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's good for laying carpet, roofing, and playing video games. <laughs> and 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 you look at that today just to pull that through, right? And and you go okay, no, that's actually someone making the fastest decisions on the planet that we now see in high cognitive load situations mm-hmm. that again goes, that's a glimpse of the future of national security, medicine, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And it has shifted my position, not only on esports for sure, but it's re-brought up this idea of how do we think about cognition mm-hmm. and how do we think about the future? And the part I was gonna pull it back to with you, Mark, about this space, you know, you guys have a space that it's a, you know, a fantastic space, Physical quote yes. in the back, mm. and then you pull it to the fore, and it's creative, and it's art, mm. and it's the photo. And so I think you know to to pull that through. You start going where we've historically been is this awe of the physical. Mm-hmm. Great, yeah. Now I think we're starting to get to this. Okay, we're starting to understand the brain, the cognition, what makes people perform under pressure. But and I th- then I think go ahead, just yeah, interrupt. I think part of the reason we had that reverence for the physical is because the the, the psychological was invisible to mm-hmm. us. And all of the things that are going on that are deriving the physical are invisible. Therefore, we you know, we, we sort of reject them or we just we, we are compelled to ignore them in some way. But now that we have let we could say more more insight, you know, 
via human experience and also technology, mm -hmm. we can then actually recognize, maybe measure, mm -hmm. and hopefully steer in the future. Yeah, you know what is happening in the brain that is allowing that physical part to actually yeah take place. Yeah, well, and it, and it's almost I think one of the most interesting things going on as we think about it. So a couple couple just statements, factual statements, and then we can hop into it. If you went again, even five to ten years ago, and you said your brain has plasticity. Mm. i.e. how smart you are today is not necessarily, quote, mm -hmm. how smart you will be five years from now or you have the ability for your brain to change. People looked at you sideways. Yeah. And went, no, 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 no. That is absolutely something that you are born with. You are this smart. You are not. So you go, you have that. That's just changed everything, you know, I think yeah. as, as we think about what is possible with people. So I think that's number one. The second thing that you said that's really interesting on that is you said if we go back to the physical – you know, and I'll go back to, you know, my days at Nike as, a, as an example. And we could go, okay, here's what a world-class marathoner will look like, right? And we talked yeah. about this a little bit. Of If I know their VO2 max, if I know their lactate threshold, if I know their running economy, I can come up with that and go, how does that compare against the best in the world? And I have a pretty good idea, is that person going to be in the top 1% or even the top 0.01%? Right. What we've never had an idea to do, and it goes back to whether we call it esports or other, is the ability to have a KPI on what's going on in my brain. Mm. And can I look at whether it's through esports, whether it's through F1, whether it's through mm. piano, whether you pick it, but someone who can walk in from a selection perspective and I can go, you have it. And that's something we've never, we've never had. And I think it goes to your point, like we're just starting to now get to a point through neuroscience where we go, Ooh, that looks a little different in that person. What's mm -hmm. going on there? What does that look like? And so you're right. I think it's opening up this whole new world of what does performance look like? And, and, and I would argue starting to push it into an area that goes physical and then cognitive to some degree. But then I think that outcome at the end is that part of what we were talking about. When you combine, you get great at both of those. What does that allow you to do? It gives you creativity. It gives mm -hmm. you, yes. And and, and, and I think a, a, an interesting thing of being able to measure is to sort of, okay, all of these people are, you know, performing at this level. They are relatively physically similar, mm -hmm. depending on the, the, the sport or the position within mm -hmm. the sport that they're playing. Um, why does this, where does, you know, and we know the rate of fuel consumption. We know mm -hmm. how much hydration is needed and how much sort of energy exogenously needs to be taken on board during the effort okay, why does this person seem to have an extra fuel tank? And why does that fuel tank seem to be in his brain? Mm -hmm. Now, this starts to get interesting mm -hmm. in terms of, of, of measurement, but also understanding where the, 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 the potential for and you know, sport or you know, physical performance in the future is going to be, you know, and maybe it's, hap maybe it's been happening with, you know, various performance institutes and, you know, it, it, mm -hmm. things like that of, okay, now we're, l let's try to train this aspect of this person's psychology in a particular way. Um, th so, so that it supports the physical stuff mm -hmm. so that it means, th and ultimately maybe it means better fuel economy. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I was having a little bit of a conversation about desire being the highest octane fuel there is um, earlier today with uh, Pace McKelvin, actually. <laughs> um, but it, it, it seems uh, like now with these other avenues, and we'd always presented our sort of physiologic model or the, you know, the model where we're trying to teach people um, as, as sort of a soundboard and each channel. And there's, you know, here's, here's, you know, the, the, 
the, the, the oxygen uptake channel and here's the fueling mm -hmm. and here's the hydration and here's the and then over here was all this ethereal stuff that we would never talk about but we had to recognize of the you know the various components of you know psychological mm -hmm. input or support or fuel that go into this and now with especially after you know being exposed to what I was exposed to two weeks ago, like, oh my God, there's mo way more channels on our mm. on our mixing board here mm -hmm. than we had hypothesized before when we were already being sort of looked at as freaks for mm -hmm. trying to look into that mm -hmm. bit. And when you and, do, when you look at the, well, I, this might come back a little bit because you said something about our conversation that we're having about there. When everything is equalized, we're talking about creativity. Because if all planes are equal, it's just who can come up with something that hasn't been done or something that is um, not potentially uh, predictable. And that unpredictability is basically uh, how the mind works. Like it, it's a, I think one of the science is kind of at a, a standstill at some points because science will kind of inform the general public of what we know and it almost puts a box around mm -hmm. things. And on the outset, um, to actually do real science, you need a high amount of creativity. Somebody at some point has to be like, man, I like, I have an idea. Nobody's ever done this before. Mm -hmm. I don't know, like landing a fucking rocket, mm -hmm. Elon Musk. Like there, he, he had to at some point be like, no, I'm going to land that thing. Mm -hmm. No one's ever done that before. That's a huge amount of, uh, some people call it hubris coming from a certain person. But from him, I just think it's like, an unbelievable amount of creativity to take a problem that we assumed was unfixable and then try to fix it. And I think at high performance and no matter what category you're talking about, you're talking about the brain being able to play. Mm -hmm. And this is something um, I don't talk about it too much because again, we, we fear of being like on the mystical side of things or be like, got no fear about that anymore. Well, I, I, <laughs> maybe it's not fear. It's just like people won't listen. Like it, no one's going to yeah. take it seriously, but there's this game that I've played through physical effort to start, that's when I first notice it, of what my brain is capable of doing if I take it to the end of its physical limit. I believe my brain starts then. Like, I think that's where it actually starts to work because mm -hmm. it didn't have to before. It mm -hmm. could just shut down and my body could take care of it. And when you get to the point where the body shuts down and starts signaling the brain. So when you no longer have the hammer, you're going to have to find a different way to drive the nail. Exactly. Or, and, or, or become the nail. <laughs> I, there's, I tricked you into saying it. Sure. <laughs> predictability. And that, the, the, the funny part about it is that like you can induce this in a very, I, I think the, the easiest way to talk about it now, because I think it, um, you could set somebody up for this feeling where um, you can, A, and just by sitting and thinking about nothing, you can induce a large amount of physiological pain. Mm -hmm. But once you break through that pain, and it might take months, it might take a, a, a lot of trying, what you'll notice is that you can actually visualize how your brain works. Once nothing happens, you can start to see the levels change. And that is creativity. And so some people talk about um, creativity is, you know, create like just generating stuff. But most stuff that gets generated is just copy and paste and edited. Mm -hmm. Creativity is what most people would refer to as zero to one, which is another way of saying nothing to something. And suddenly we're talking about, we're not, we're not talking about just human existence. We're talking about theoretical physics. We can go back and we can understand how, everything is now but we can't 
understand how it came to be. There was a zero, and then we go, uh, we have no fucking clue. Go to one, and then two and three. Because two is a derivative of one, but one is not a derivative of zero. It has nothing to do with that. And that now we're now we're experiencing creativity is an experience, like is it a general experience of the fundamental blocks of existence. I got to stop you for one second. Sure. Um, Too much? How can I improve my bench press? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, using this model that you're hypothesizing right now. Because I got, I'm at zero. <laughs> and I need to get to one. You just... Well, you got to get a rubber band and you got to tie that around your legs and you start doing these weird butt exercises that I've seen on Instagram. Okay. And then when you have enough followers that then, you know, notice that your chest is small, you'll have some kind of creative epiphany to start bench pressing. (laughs) It is true. Okay. I'm I'm sorry. It's okay. The application is- I was just like, we're 20 minutes in and we're already on theoretical physics. Well, it's esoteric. Damn. And it's really hard to describe. And some of these states- um, are induced a certain way. Some of them through physiology, some of them through drugs, some of them through, you know, hypertrophic Medi- breathing, meditative yeah. states, whatever you can do to get your brain to kind of change uh, how I think, I mean, the best way when I kind of understood what it is that we're doing kind of on a different level was that your brain is good kind of at one thing. It's an efficiency machine. Mm-hmm. It tries to make everything easier. But, machines if we rewire them are good at multiple different things and i think if we take out the problems that the brain had to solve originally food shelter whatever um the first thing to do is to let it run wild and now you have youtube comments and if we (laughs) if you redirect it then you get creativity because now I'm taking all that energy that was used for other things, and now I'm starting to generate things. That uh, now I'm going, I'm I'm witnessing zero to one in real time. I'm re, I'm, I'm witnessing creation, like I something didn't exist, and now I'm putting that thing into existence. That that is a fundamental thing that I think um, we came to by learning how to bench press. Funny enough, like or we came to by learning how to ride a bike or something that was just it was not the thing. But it ran alongside the thing. And then... And it was like a silent companion for a long time. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly spoke up one day, mm-hmm. I guess. I don't... That... And when I said, when I look around the art gallery, I go, oh, you wouldn't have seen those pictures unless you had put yourself in a position where your brain could work that way. Mm-hmm. And usually that position is, uh, I don't know the best way to put it, physical exertion, mm-hmm. effort. I guess it's a bet. Like... You and I see this with artists because my wife's an artist. You know, she cannot paint until it's painful enough to paint, and I, like I can't see clearly until it's painful to see clearly, and then I have to fight through all those mechanisms. I think that's something that um, it's really hard to talk about because people are interested in losing body fat and they want more energy to do just basic human shit, but they have to get rid of that <laughs> excess yes. in order to like find the zero in order mm-hmm. and then you have to get back down to zero yeah before you can get one i guess and over so we're done I, 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 <laughs> like, 
Sorry, I probably <laughs> took that down a really weird path. No, people. I like. I was scared. just trying to follow. I, I am too. Like I don't. <laughs> I'm trying to follow just... this, and sometimes I don't do it correctly. What I'm working on now is not creation necessarily. I'm trying to finish a sentence before the next thought takes over that sentence. And that's really hard for me to do sometimes. I, I was going to say, there's, I, I could see a, a, a race, actually, yeah. in you right then. Of, <laughs> and your brain is much faster than your mouth. Um, and, like it's, and, to, and I think that's the case with all of us, is yeah. that, okay, I can't, I, I can't write it or type it out fast enough if it's in me. Hmm. I mean, as fast as this can be. You know, I have to. I have to slow it down somehow. I have to quiet it down mm. if I want to create. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, that's <laughs> such an interesting one, right, Marvin? How do you quiet yourself down to create? And I think it goes back to some of the things we were talking about earlier. When Physical we were effort, maybe. <laughs> Physical is a big one. The other one where I know we all have deep passion is nature. Mm-hmm. You know, and we now see such great social science around mm-hmm. what happens when we put people away from electronics, Mm -hmm. out into nature, whether it's Vista effects, whether it's improved creativity, Mm -hmm. whether it's even, you know, we were talking a little bit about space earlier, but even the overture effect of looking down onto earth and going, wow, what an amazing place. I want to be something bigger. I want to Chris's presentation at the the summit was, I mean, the the, the scientific basis for creativity come, you know, Mm -hmm. you know, for nature as a, as a fount or source of creativity was like, oh, well, we always knew it, and now mm. smarter people have... The science is showing it. Is yeah. Showing I mean, it. I mean, I think for me, it's one of those great things that go, to your point, all of us have experienced that. You know, my, my, my parents, strangely enough, I grew up, you know, with no religious affiliation at all, and then, um, you know, my parents sort of went back to the church, and I never did, and they would sometimes ask me, they would say, like, hey, what's your time that you feel... That spiritual, whatever, and I would say it's when I'm on top of a mountain when the sun's coming up, yeah. right? And that's sort of my that, church. Yeah, that that is <laughs> yeah. my church. My church is the top of a mountain when the sun's coming up. Um, and, and my biggest part on that, you know, I think is one: how do we start to pull that through to people? Who goes, no, we should think of nature that way. We are at the end of the day natural beings that want to be outside, not being inside, etc. But then I think number two, as we talk about it, and again, we, we were having this conversation earlier, you know, because now that we know that and we know it inherently and we know from a social sciences perspective what's going on in our brain, how do we use that to save this planet, right? And, <laughs> and, and what, is, what does that mean when you start to go, okay, this isn't just a place we live. Mm-hmm. This is a place that helps us thrive. Yeah. So what do we do now? I'm going to relate this idea. I mean, because we, t- we talked about the various stopgap measures and some people, mm-hmm. you know, finger in the dike style, um, trying to slow some things down. And then you brought up this sort of moonshot concept or, you know, the, the idea of like, what's the, you know, what's after what happens next, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, and I, I just, when you were talking about the, the, the planet and, and, okay, maybe there's, maybe there's the, the, if you, maybe there aren't enough of us on it yet for us to stop because I'm just thinking of it as like okay when you get a new dog and you're going to crate train the dog mm. like you put it in the smallest possible space because it will not foul its living space <laughs> right and maybe the world is too big maybe there's just like not enough people yet 
to for for everybody to collectively realize that hey we are shitting where we eat and sleep yeah. and we need to stop that you know proverbially you know in in a metaphoric sense um or metaphorical sense but i um i i i think that we, that that many of it, um we were talking about about the the the, the, the aluminum can versus the plastic bottle for mm-hmm. as a water delivery mechanism and while this and this is something that jason momo is 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 doing right now mm-hmm. is starting putting starting this com- this company um to 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 shift emphasis away from plastic to a more and faster uh, recyclable container um but ultimately what you know th- th- that is a, that is a step on on the road, and what we need to be thinking and collectively thinking is further down the road. Whereas you said, Hobie, you know, we don't have containers. <laughs> yeah, what, what's the what's you know. the end piece here? And yeah. and I think it's the interesting part, and we even call it a moonshot, which has become mm-hmm. probably overly popular with everything yeah. of somebody thinking big. I mean, we already were there in '69 or whatever yeah. it was. So <laughs> we, we've been to the moon. Of, so maybe Mars or well, something well, else. The is, Mars yeah. shot. Yeah. But, but it is the interesting thing, and 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 I think. It goes back to even us in the United States, but even you think in a capitalistic society is as a whole, you know, and you go, we need to be able to, yes, move incrementally, i.e. from a plastic bottle potentially to a can. But if that's where both the financial incentive is uh, and that's as fast as we're willing to move. That's just not going to get us there. Mm-mm. It's, on, it's on, not quite fast. Yeah, enough. it's yeah. not fast. enough. And so going back to that idea of a moonshot, which goes. We can't think of the problem the same way. We have to reimagine, i.e. the creative piece of how do we even reimagine this problem, right? And so we're thinking very one to 1.1 when we go plastic bottle to a can, awesome. Mm-hmm. I love that we're doing it because it's 1.1. Yeah. But what goes, okay, the moonshot says, no, there shouldn't be a vessel around water and it should be able to get into your body. Mm. Okay, how do, we, how, do we recre- how do we recreate that idea to not have it be okay. Well, how do I make this can so that it's a little bit more recyclable? Still suits. You know what? What is what does that what does that look like? Yeah. You know, and, and I mean yeah. the example I, we were using that I love. You know, and I, again, I can't remember um, when exactly it was in in one of the wars, but this idea of hey, we need a plane that can fly this far, this mm-hmm. fast, and we saw just making a faster prop plane is not going to make that happen. Yeah. And so what happened? Instead of trying to make a faster prop plane, we made a jet. Yeah, you have right. to re you have to reassert first principles. Mm-hmm. So I have to take all the things that we have established as the status quo, and I have to wipe the slate and reimagine how this thing starts from a mm-hmm. foundation. And I think that's not much. It's not too dissimilar from how we get people to change and how I've been thinking about, as opposed to um, fitness. Mm-hmm. It's actually it has more to do with like. Um, behavioral physiology mm-hmm. like if if we can connect those almost like how what what behavior studying did for economics i think that is what will shift fitness and this this is a broad thing but what i do notice is when people learn how to take care of themselves they can take care of others like mm-hmm. it's the whole Absolutely. you know oxygen mask in the airplane mm-hmm. thing and what i find most often like our environment is a middle class problem right like when you say that, what do you say that? What do you mean? I mean that there's only the the middle people of an economic range that are highly concerned with whether we're polluting too much because they have enough separation from poverty to hold their attention somewhere else. Mm-hmm. So they have enough access, 
but they're not at the top end where the top end are still, I mean, mostly making gobs of income and extrapolated rent seeking off of those advantages mm-hmm. off the environment. So, and that's not everybody. I don't want to like, I don't, I think Elon Musk's of the world are actually going to help save us, but he is one out of what, a, I don't know how many billionaires there are on the planet. There's like don't look at thousands me. though, right? I don't, even know, I don't even know what that number looks like. You know, like where's the decimal point in that? Well, let's say he's one of a thousand people who have on that end of the spectrum. So he's the minority of people who are trying to fix a problem that the majority are causing. And then at the bottom end of the poverty scale, they can't keep their head out of water. So therefore, who gives a shit about a plastic bottle? Because I might not be able to pay my bills. And at the worst end of it, I might not be able to eat. And so when we say like, you know, well, how do we change? We're, we're talking about behavioral economics to mm-hmm. change that shift. And I, I think if we step back and we say, no, we need to teach people how to behaviorally take care of themselves, actually like healthy brain, healthy body, mm-hmm. healthy environment. First and then it extrapolates yep. from that. Um, th- that is my hope with teaching people about fucking fitness like that. Like that is a dumb. Yeah. Oh, I did a race and I did the same. No, 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 no. Back up. How did you prepare for that? Well, I had to change my behavior. I had to notice my environment. I had to, you know, pay attention but, and we, to the relationships. And we talked about it is like, mm-hmm. and, and Hobie said, you had mentioned that, you know, working through college, mm-hmm. um, you know, you're working as a physical, mm-hmm. as a trainer and you see people come in and the average is, you know, 30, 40, 50 pounds overweight and they want to lose some weight. And you, take them through a process whereby they gain control. They learn Mm -hmm. that they are able to control their bodies, not only movement wise, but how it responds to the environment. And, 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 uh, and then all of a sudden like, Oh, if I can control this, perhaps there are other parts of my life where I may be able to, you know, influence an outcome. And it's all by way of like, you know, world gym or wherever it was. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, you, I mean, you hit it. People ask me all the time, you know, they'll be like, Hey, what's the, most meaningful job you've ever had. And I still go back to being whatever, 19, 20 years old and going, being a personal trainer at the biggest globo gym, you know, in, in the world at the time, probably. But the reason was because exactly what you said, Hmm. people would come in with a sense of, I would say hopelessness to some degree. I don't feel good about it. Helplessness, helpless, hopeless, and, and, and go, I don't know how to be the person I want to be. And so this is my place where, for some reason, I'm starting that journey. And what you would see through the evolution of it was, you know, and again, we can we can take this to the social science part of self-efficacy, which is what you're talking about of, I have this locus of control of what I can do, and I'm optimistic that it will work or about the future. But in a very easy way, that's what was changing their life as they went, okay, here is a community, here is a person, here is a place I can go that is non-judging of me, number one. Two, will help me set a goal to be who I want to be, will give me some tools to help me be there where I'm seeing constant progression to do it all of the time. In in one particular channel on the soundboard. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And and, and then it progresses. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think that's exactly what you see. I mean, the, the quotes that I loved the most going back to Again, we're not talking high-level athletes here. Mm-hmm. We're talking people walking into World's Gym, you know, <laughs> yeah. was, oh, my gosh. It, and, again, this sounds cheesy when you say it, but, oh, my gosh, the relationship with my spouse is better. Mm-hmm. The relationship with my kids is better. This has allowed me to be better at work. 
And it was just the one part that went, yep, there's the physical foundational to it. Mm. But I think more than anything, it goes to what you guys were just talking about. It was, no, I actually learned a new skill and characteristic that I have that's around, I believe in myself to be able to control this situation and it will end up working out well. And you go, that in itself, and if there's almost nothing else you could teach somebody or help somebody on, I mean, we all know, I mean, think how many times, gosh, I've, I've felt it so many times on all the things I've fucked up in my life. Mm-hmm. And so many of them, you get in that spot, right? Going down the toilet bowl of that little part in your mind that's going, I don't have control. This is somebody else's fault. I can't mm-hmm. do anything. Where am I going to go? How is this going to end up? And it's the worst parts of your life. I mean, you can have terrible things happen in your life, but when you feel like, hey, I can control it, and it's going to be okay. How you can take a lot of stuff, or even if the lifeboat is is oh, being able to control one aspect of it. Absolutely, even and if it's a small, tiny piece. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I I feel like the 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 end result of learning of you know to control that one channel is always going to be you know sort of more control and from control you know self control. Um, a lot of time, I think one of the end results is predictability. Is, you know, being able to sort of forecast into the future in an mm-hmm. accurate manner. And then all of this, then you can actually, oh, the, you know, I, I'm not driving down the road that I'm on, staring 10 feet in front of the hood, mm-hmm. of the, you know, the, the, the car. I'm, I'm able to look a hundred yards down the road. I'm, I can see miles down the road. I can actually, I can actually hypothesize what's down there um, with a relatively high degree of accuracy. And it all started from being able to control one thing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I think um, this, Came up actually today, uh, or God, man, we have a lot of conversations about the day before we even come to the conversation. But we, uh, somebody asked, you know, on the same conversation about some of our first principles are to change, to use environment to change expectations. Mm -hmm. Because I think what Mark was just talking about was the power of expectation. Mm -hmm. If I can predict where I'm going to be with accuracy, I can then use my expectation to regulate that. But if you're off the mark, it messes with everybody. So if I think that I can do something, i.e. lose five pounds in a week, and I only lose one, the negative feedback, that the emotional states kick you out of being mm-hmm. able to try again because now you can't control anything. So sometimes just... You've just been informed yeah, of I'm your inability. Con- you, your, your, your inability to control that mm-hmm. is, has been exposed. Yeah, I, And this, this comes with... Erin's uh, a perfect example of this uh, in most cases because people look at her like she is a freak, um, and she is. She's not normal but she made herself that way. Mm-hmm. And so we've been like, she's doing this qualifier for a physical event. And so we're watching her go through all these different, eh, a lot of it, it's a CrossFit event, um, but in between she's doing other things. So we went down to this mountain bike ride. Uh, it was her first ride. It took her <laughs> six hours. And so, but she, you know, uh, she ran into some issues like you would if you've never done that volume <laughs> of thing. Um, but to see where her brain goes is just like, it, she doesn't focus on the end point. She has learned to just look at the next hill and then look at the next part and then focus on the next part. It's incremental advantage. And when you, uh, I, I listened to her uh, kind of explain her story uh, to some people she's working with the other day because they asked like, oh, well, you, you know, you played probably high school sports. You're probably always a freak. And she's like, no, like I didn't start this until about 11 years ago. Mm-hmm. And 11 years ago, I hit a point where um, I'd given up my career um, she was married at the time and she decided to start a family 
and uh, her daughter was in the NICU for the first couple of months, very sick. Like they didn't know if she was going to live or not. So she was basically tied to the hospital for the first couple of months and then her house once she was healthy enough to move there. And it became an asylum. She had no control over her life. She had no source of income other than her husband that she was starting to, you know, draw separation to because of this tumultuous event probably had to do with it. And then now she's tied to this child who she can't get you know, any space from to take care of herself. And that is a lack of control like that. That's the worst position you could ever put anybody in. And she was fortunate enough to make a correct decision to try to, to try to uh, gain some kind of physical control over her situation. Okay. I can't leave my house. What can I do? I can order some fitness videos. And they were like, Shalane Johnson, mm-hmm. like bebop rock, hip hop abs, or whatever it ended up being, because it was something. And then she, like, when, you know, okay, I need to get outside because that's healthy. So she'd get her daughter, put her in a burly bee, and she could barely walk 30 seconds without getting tired when she started. And we're talking about somebody who competitively races, you know, a half marathon not even a couple years later. And so when you see where she started from nothing, and, and I guarantee she would not be where she's at today unless she was stripped down to what was what I would call the worst case scenario. You were incapable and not in control of your own life. And once people see incrementally what you can become, oh, wait. With enough yeah. addition right. of, of more steps. Yeah, yeah the, the building blocks are insane. Like, I mean, the pyramids are fairly simple. You look at a, you look at a grain of sand and you're like, whatever. But then you look up and you're like, that's literally the same thing. It's just the state that it's in. And a human is no different. Like what a human can become is no different than the poorest version of human that makes bad decisions and becomes kind of a waste of its own skin. It's just the state that incrementally changes to become whatever you, you consider mm-hmm. a great human being. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting. A couple of things I think you hit on right there that resonate at least with me. You know, our one, you talk about her as a very high performer mm-hmm. and you pull back to what are things that we see over and over again around high performers, right? And we talked about one, that self-efficacy. She has the part that goes, while I don't know how to do this well, Mm -hmm. I believe that I can get through it. I'm in control and it's gonna end fine. Mm -hmm. I've been through uncomfortable situations. Mm -hmm. I'm comfortable being uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. You know, then you take it to that second one, I think, is you didn't say, oh my gosh, she took her bike and threw it off the cliff because she was pissed. She demonstrated, hey, in a tough situation, I can have emotional self-regulation. That has happened in the past. <laughs> on previous was, bike rides, which is why it's been ten years since she's ridden the bike, but why she's pulling it back. I was gonna say, but that's one of the building blocks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah they, always getting better. But but the other one that you said that I think gets overlooked a lot, and and, and I think it's because it sounds foofy mm-hmm. when you say it, you know. But again, you go back to what are we learning in the social sciences around high performers, back to this sort of cognitive frame, mm-hmm. and it's that idea of compassion for self and others. Mm-hmm. And you go for her, she's going. Hey, look, I'm a really high level athlete, but you know what? It's okay Mm -hmm. that I'm not great at this. Mm -hmm. I don't have to beat myself up and go, oh my gosh, why am I not the best at this? I suck. I just want to go home. And I think that's another one. Like as we explore, especially, you know, you take guys like you that have, you know, worked with the best in the world that have worked with, you know, what most people would say are these unattainable places. And so we start to kind of talk at those levels you know, around that looks like, but we kind of forget that part that goes, Hey, you, you have to be able to go to yourself first mm. and go, I'm okay. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to get through this. I have compassion for myself. And then what does that become back to your principles? 
hey, now that gives me the ability to really care about Mark. Mm-hmm. That really gives me the ability to care about somebody else. And now I'm back to you know a part that we talked about early on, which is now I can form a community of people around me that support me and I walk with you know, and come together so that we now as a team can go do things that are great. That's an interesting thing. If you could sum that up, I would say like what you just described is is hard to fathom for most people because it starts to sound really hippy dippy. It like does. Fucking love and peace and all yeah. that stuff. But what you're essentially saying is um, if you're going to have enough bandwidth to care for other people, which will inform, it'll it's a feedback loop. It'll it'll enrich in my life actually. It's not a it's not a selfless thing. But if I have enough bandwidth to have compassion for other people, it starts with compassion for myself and my own situation and understanding that. And I think whenever you pick up something new and try to learn it, if you come at it from the angle of like the Dunning Kruger, right? Like I know nothing about this thing, which means I think I'm better than it that I than mm-hmm. I am. Um, it only takes a couple of learning processes to start realizing how how specificity kills Mm -hmm. like and i think maybe that's just aaron's position on the bike she's just i understand why people are good at this and i understand i have not put in the time or you know done done what would make me good at it therefore i'm going to have compassion for my situation and just say what can i do now and this is no different um from kind of a more positive example of like learning to play the guitar um it's so humiliating to like not be able to even play more than one chord. It's just monotonous. It's literally like, it's probably yeah. the most annoying thing for Aaron to hear is when I practice, it's the same three chords, but maybe a different pattern, but most of them are fucked up Thank because I can't God, hit them God, it's correctly. not a tuba. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I have to say about that. <laughs> but, but then like... Count your blessings, Aaron. (laughs) It's this feedback loop where you get one positive thing where, oh my God, I heard the right thing one time out of a hundred strokes. That was enough to keep me going for another hour, which led to two correct Mm -hmm. strings or two correct, uh, like basically octaves. And now that I, you know, spent two hours doing this thing, I heard three correct things. That's enough to spend the next day doing the same. And then you wonder how people get good fast. Well, they just improve those. They, I know I'm terrible. But when she hears it and it's right, she goes, oh, that sounded really good. And I go, shut up. But really, that's very, like, don't patronize me. Like, I know this is terrible. I'm not, like, you know, serenading you yet. But that skill, and, and then as long as I I keep in relation to what is possible. And this happened the other day when uh, Ross came in and he was like, oh, look up this uh, flamenco guitar player. And I was like, oh, yeah, look at this person. We still have our eye on human potential always Mm -hmm. because we should believe that we are capable of that. I can't fathom how. When I watch them play or I hear them, I'm like, no, there's no fucking way. Like my hands are fat. I immediately start (laughs) the negative self-talk of like, well, I'm, you know, I'm 36. I Mm -hmm. can't learn to play like that. That person probably started when they're eight. Mm -hmm. That is the internal driver. But I've learned so many things late in life that I, it's now getting easier and easier to be like, I don't know what's possible, but I've seen my brain play and create things. And it's fundamentally disturbing to me how good it is without the me part, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> without me coming in with my ego and blocking it, mm-hmm. my brain is absolutely like progressive Thirsty. and capable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if I get in the way and start, oh, I'm this, that, and this is what I identify as a you know male athlete or whatever, everything stops. But if I can get rid of that and I can just allow it to progress, 
yeah, you have people like Aaron that are doing phenomenal things, you know, almost as a hobby. Mm-hmm. I also think one one thing that came up bef- um, there is, and I'll use Aaron as the example. I, I mean, I was a, I wanted to make like a superlative statement, mm-hmm. like the, the the you know empathy comes from accomplishment, mm-hmm. um, which is not exactly what I want to say, but I I think her mm-hmm. ability to inspire others. And to sort of drag them along on a similar journey, you know, uh, um, is because she can look back to where she came from, mm-hmm. to where she started with no, you know, with a, a, a sense of helplessness and, and, and lack of control. Mm-hmm. And then in this incremental process, you know, okay, made a pyramid, uh, you know, out of herself. Mm. And, but because, she, and from, even from the top of that, she can still look back and see you know the, the 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 path that she made in the grass where she held it down on her own at first mm-hmm. and then walked it back and forth over it for long enough that it wore it down and then it became so she can see all the way back there and there and that allows her to see and feel and recognize um that in other people and then show them the the way mm-hmm. and 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 this it it it, it takes me back to this thing that w- with many of the um, the, the sort of movie jobs that, that and it, it took us a while to, to or it took me a while to realize it is that like look if if you was an actor and you went through this this process of change and it's a physical change it's either you you know you're you're more muscular or you're less fat or you know whatever it is um, but you went through this phys- phys- physical change and then um, the 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 more you deify deify the mm. process the less accessible it is for others and if you would just sit there on your talk show when you're promoting your thing and they ask you how hard it was and you say it was the hardest you know the the hardest thing in the world it was almost like being you know shot into space or you know some bullshit um then you just prevent others from even trying but if you could just sit there and look back and go yeah i was a fat piece of shit when i started Mm -hmm. this and and it actually you know, because of the way I learned to do it and the amount of time that I had and I could make these small steps, um, it, it really wasn't such a disagreeable thing. And I encourage everyone to try it, you know, or it is possible or it's there. And, 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 and so there's, there's, there's two ways, you know, Aaron, you know, came to the, to the, to the point of compassion by way of a similar accomplishment, whereas sometimes these actors just can't fucking do that. They 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 create even more separateness mm-hmm. um, by you know communicating it as an almost inhuman experience. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I, I mean, I consider it a failure on our part that we never actually convinced any of our yeah. you know clients to say that and mm-hmm. to say, hey, yeah, it's possible, and you should. Um, see it as mm-hmm. as such and therefore it will be and i think to bring it back to because we're talking about the it's a kind of an all-encompassing idea that, that this is uh, maybe it's fundamental but th- there's a separation between our policy too which is why you know when we're talking about people i'm a big believer in people having domain over their own life um ability and um i, I guess i would I don't know. It's it's it, the ability for one individual to control their outcome. That is antithetical to a modern society, which is largely based on control. Like, how can we herd people so that we can have the least uprising, the least thought pattern? The, like, 
governments don't want people to question people to you know go against the mainstream they don't want and i think that is what fundamentally needs to change is the structure in which we talk about all these things because although we do have politicians and they say great things with their thumbs pressed against their index finger and they make great statements and promises they are separated from society they you know they talk about you know disarming to make people safer but they're protected by people who are armed and they talk about you know all these horrible things that you know people do and how they're going to stop them but they're doing likely horrible things as well there is no incentive um, as a collective um, to actually make changes unless you feel it on your own. Like one of the most probably profound things somebody can do is go to a place that they love and see that it's being trashed. Like you don't care about the environment until you swim in a shitty environment and you're like, what the fuck are humans doing? Like you, you, you see videos of it on Instagram. You scroll and you see like the, you know, the gyre outside San Diego and it's like, I don't need, it's like eight foot thick and a, you know, three miles in radius or whatever of just plastic and garbage. And you go, oh yeah, I've never been there. I've never felt it. It's almost like an alien world. We don't have the capacity as human beings to envision every person or every situation and have compassion. So I think maybe one of the tricks here is to, I mean, maybe it's going the wrong direction, but tribalism does help us in some regard. People always talk about it as a pejorative, but tribalism keeps us connected to our environment. Like I care about the person next to me because I have to deal with them. And I can't care about most people in Namibia or wherever they're starving to death. And it's almost too much bandwidth to have compassion for. So we almost have to redirect and, you know, Sure, not you know we can't let genocide go through or all these atrocities go through, um, but there's some there has to be some limit to it because I think compassion is finite in my experience. Yeah, I mean it's interesting when you said even on the idea of storytelling, mm-hmm. right? Because I think a big part of that goes to do we have limits on compassion? I haven't seen a study that says we do or do mm-hmm. not, so sure. I, I can't back it in science either way. But I think what's interesting about what you just said is. We know when we talk about hundreds of thousands of people are dying, people don't even listen. Yeah. You know, I mean, they put their head down and they go, okay, whatever. But when you can pull someone out Picture, and go, yeah. this person. And so I think you know, it goes back to that piece of what do we want to be, mm-hmm. right? And so how do we storytell around that? And I think it's an, another interesting thing you know, of what you guys have been able to do that goes back to even at foundations and now working with great athletes, but you know, what are those stories we tell? How do we do it? Mm-hmm. And I bring it back to one of the things you said, Mark, cause it really, it really hit with me when you were um, talking before. One of the questions I ask myself all the time um, and probably where I find my ha- highest calling now is I have two daughters, one, one that's 11 and one that's nine. And it's sort of this question that goes, what are the things that I wish they knew? Mm-hmm. <laughs> And even though I can tell it to them, they probably won't believe it. Mm-mm. But what do I wish they could know to live an amazing life? And one of the things that you said that it goes right back to is this idea of we have, at least in the U.S., and I, I don't know enough to know if it's outside the U.S., but this idea of putting genius on a pedestal <laughs> and this idea of, you know what, the highest compliment you can pay someone is they didn't work hard to get there but they are just an outlier and amazing and did it with this raw talent, et cetera. And it's one of the greatest, I would say, number one fallacies, because we've all worked with the best in the world and very few of them did it out of pure talent. Some of them did, Mm -hmm. but very few of them did it out of pure talent. 
But I think the other thing, um, you know, that it, that it goes to as you as you think about that is the part that goes, if I could go back to my kids and, you know, and this is backed in science by some great studies, you know, that say not you're smart, but say you're really hardworking. Mm-hmm. And what do we see out of that, right? Again, when you look back at the science is you go, the kids who are told you were really hardworking and I can tell you really worked at that, mm-hmm. they want the harder tests next time. They're constantly up-leveling. You go to the kid that you said you talented. are just talented or smart, they want to protect their ego. They go, no, 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 I don't want the thing that's harder. One is a work in progress, the other is an end state. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And, and so I think what you said is such an important thing that goes, how do we change that idea that goes when you're working with stars or you're working with climbers, you're working with whoever it is, that goes the most important thing that they can share to the world is this was my journey. It was hard as can be, but here's how I got through it and what I did. These mornings sucked, but this is what made me get up. Mm-hmm. This was really tough. This is what this looked like. I had a coach. I had a mentor. I had whatever those are. And, and I think that's where you start to pull back to, you know, where, again, it seems silly, but when I go back to that, even that world's gym thing, and I go, a 19-year-old, 20-year-old that didn't know anything, mm-hmm. but was blessed enough to know this little slice that could help people see, hey, there's a path and a journey. Can so, be a useful guide, no yeah. matter no matter what. And and I th- and I think we we <clears throat> we start to establish hierarchies of knowledge and mm-hmm. you know who we should listen to and who we shouldn't. Um, you know, hey, that 19 year old kid standing there, he that might be the most important person in your life at that time. Mm. If you are 60 pounds overweight and you know find yourself in this world's gym or you know what whatever, um, and and sometimes I think we 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 disregard certain messengers who could be the most useful at the time Absolutely. in favor of messengers who are telling us shit that we can't actually have or you know or do or accomplish or or it put out of reach. It's just like um, and I think the differentiation there between you know the work in progress or the or the, you know and and the end state is um, it's is something else mm-hmm. to try and address and it has to in and we look at it i think in terms of language is like okay how do we spin which is exactly what you were talking about hobie um is how do i communicate in order to um you know give positive feedback but also illuminate the possibility of more mm-hmm. of, of, opportunity. Of, 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 of of more opportunity more mm-hmm. you know of, of of a road ahead of mm-hmm. of um and to you know, shift in people's minds this idea that uh, of of have you know, okay, you're working and working and working working towards this thing, towards this thing, and one day you're going to have arrived, and everything will be, and then you'll just be coasting and floating, and it'll be glorious, and there'll be people fanning you with you know palm fronds <laughs> and feeding you you know whatever your idea of like maybe it's like drinking Mai Tais on a beach and that's great like if we for 15 pop- minutes yeah. and exactly. then you're like fuck like, <laughs> exactly man look at all that plastic over there fuck yeah. and, I'm, and, <laughs> and, and here I am um, you know with my plastic my cup full of Mai Tai but uh, just to, to, to give people the idea that there is as much reward is in continuing and being inquisitive and I think it came up earlier before we were recording was what is one of the characteristics of all of these some somewhat successful people or highly successful people that 
that, that we admire, that we are around, that we are trying to learn from. So that they're fucking curious. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're inquisitive. And, and to, for me to this last two years of being in the, the waiting room or the waiting room <laughs> over there and watching Michael, he's just like, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of interested in math. He goes and he gets a math tutor. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, you're a grown fucking man. Mm-hmm. Dude, you should know your maths already. <laughs> um, and then then came the guitar, and then came the camera, and then came, you know, ex- exploring this, you know, whole avenue of psychedelics and this kind of stuff. I'm just like, wow, here's the, the, the reason that I really like being around Michael is he's always curious and he's inquisitive. And then he goes to the edge and, mm-hmm. you know, comes back with words he doesn't know how to use sometimes. Mm-hmm. But... <laughs> But holy shit. Yeah. He keeps coming back from that edge and he keeps bringing knowledge that yeah. I didn't have. And it keeps pushing me to also, you know, sort of sensitize my own curiosity mm-hmm. and, and, and chase it. I go, okay, well, this whole idea that I had about arriving at some point someday and that it was all going to be great. It's not that. And that's not negative. Hmm. Like if, if this is, it's a work in progress until I'm worked my way into the ground or maybe I'll get on one of those rockets and get shot into space or out of a cannon, maybe Hunter S. Thompson style would be kind of cool. Um, <laughs> but, but I'm just going to be keep, keep uh, asking questions until that happens. Yeah. I think that curiosity and the constant learning there was, this is hearsay, so I can't confirm it. But mm-hmm. someone told me with Bill Gates mm-hmm. that he is consistently hiring tutors Mm-hmm. on subjects of which he is curious about. And he literally will become curious about X subject. We'll go figure out who is the world expert on that. Mm-hmm. We'll bring them in as a tutor. And that's a routine part of how he's living. You're talking about one of the five yeah. richest people in the world, known across business, known across philanthropy, known across mm-hmm. all these things, who is going every day. I, I I'm curious. I, yeah. I, I just want to learn more. And again, to me, that's just another one of those examples of someone, whether you like him or not, you go, but goes back to just constantly curious, what would that look like if I knew that? How would that integrate differently with how I'm thinking today? Mm -hmm. It's just such a great trait. I think you hit it. I think uh, to use him as the example, and I want to say um, the the uh, study that you're quoting there was a the book mindset was mm-hmm. that carol something Carol's so the the growth mindset versus yeah. the fixed mindset exactly. that, that really changed um not that i didn't practice it before i didn't see it before but it really illuminated that binary relationship towards learning that mm-hmm. if i think that this is an inherent talent then when i face anything that i'm not good at i'm just say oh i can't do that and i shut but, down almost immediately but part of that is like you know i, I think we are bound in ways that we do not understand to the identity that we have created or allowed others to create for us. Yeah. And and yeah. I think that that lack of, you know, inquisitiveness in, in some ways has to do with the, 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 the prison of our identity. Mm-hmm. Like if, and, and, and maybe that's, maybe that's just the, the, that identity is, um, it, it can become the, it can lead to the fixed mindset. Maybe mm-hmm. is the, the thing is, as a, and, and, now if people you know and i'm trying to i just i don't want to i don't say i'm a climber anymore because i don't fucking do that and then be like you're a photographer i'm like no i'm not (laughs) don't put me in that box (laughs) um or whatever i look i'm just like i'm just trying to see stuff so then i'm a then i'm a seeker or something and then my i'm not 
I, if I can't, if I don't get fixed to my identity, then all opportunity is available to me. Mm-hmm. And what I've noticed about not identifying yourself to other people, depending on the person, the more attached to identity they are, the more uncomfortable they are with you not being attached to identity. Yes. And so this became apparent. Uh, we have a client of mine that he's very good at edifying. Like that's his job. He's just a professional edifier. So you go like whatever we go. He's like, these guys are blah, blah, blah. And, and it, you know, it's like, uh, like stop already. But I understand what he's doing. He's trying to create more conversations. It's actually very helpful because once people know more, they want to know more. He's driving curiosity. He's the ultimate salesperson for people. So he sets up the scenario where people can ask better questions. But every time he tries like, tell him what you do. And I go, ah, like sometimes we lift things and put them in the air. And I'll say something like esoteric. And one time it got out of hand and I said something like, <laughs> sometimes I pick up heavy things. Sometimes I put them down. Sometimes we pick them up and we hold on to them longer. Sometimes we put down more than we picked up. And he was like, that is the fucking most philosophically sound thing. Like he was blown away. It's still to this day, he quotes it. He's like, that's the most genius thing I've ever heard. The reason why he says it is because people are like, what in the fuck do you do? Because they don't understand. Because it sparks curiosity. I was saying it to be an asshole. But (laughs) (laughs) how can you put more down than you picked up? (laughs) It's a paradox. But really, all I'm trying to do is to get as clear a way as possible about saying that I'm a personal trainer or I coach Mm -hmm. people or I do. Because the boxes stop conversations. Mm -hmm. And if I can open up a dialogue with the question of somebody being uncertain what it is that I do, then there's more possible. And I think if I take that platform and I just apply it to my own life, like insert, like I take the boundaries off of my own life and I say, uh, okay, I'm not a cyclist, but I can go ride a bike and I'm not a runner, but I can go experience this trail, or I'm not a stand-up paddleboarder, which brings me to the You're fun. You're not a mathematician. I'm not a mathematician, <laughs> even in the slightest. And so, um, like, I, I just appreciate the language. And, and it's the same thing. Like, I'm not a linguist, but when I hear different languages and I understand, you know, how that language came to be, it's just ultimately I'm fascinated by it. Um, some things I don't have time to learn, and that's the most frustrating part, is that fuck, I need more energy. I need more hours in a day. I cannot, like, I can't do it all. And that really bothers me some days. It leads to some sort of depression. In some cases, you're just like, well, I'm not going to be fulfilled today because I don't have what it takes. But So, Hobie, let me, yep. do you think that, um, like when we, we talk about that <clears throat> innate curiosity, hiring mm-hmm. tutors and that kind of thing, do you, do you think that using Bill Gates as the model and because you, you say the name, everybody, bang, they have... Yeah. Mm-hmm. They they have a limiting perspective on like like okay it's and maybe it's a stereotype maybe it's okay he's the the, the name is a box mm-hmm. um, okay. and, and that prevents them from seeing the useful characteristic because of the box which is exactly mm-hmm. what you're talking about Michael is this mm-hmm. the the okay if I you're a personal trainer <laughs> yeah, yeah what the fuck do you know about math rep counter <laughs> yeah that's why exactly. you count three sets of ten is what <laughs> i can't do actually <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah you but are this, bad at counting it's true <laughs> <laughs> this one this one um thing that we were talking about before is what i was coming to was um you have what what do you describe it as each year um where a group of you and your friends go oh, the crucible event. yeah the crucible event yes so you are off on esoteric mental adventures most of the time, startups, you know, what have you. And then you keep a physical practice mm-hmm. that is 
pretty consistent early mornings, get up with a certain uh, uh, number of very capable individuals who you have formed or curated to be so. Um, like this morning, you showed us pictures from the Red Bull 400 mm-hmm. um, that you went and did at 5.30 in the morning. Not jealous about that, even a little bit. But then yearly, you have this crucible event that is to what? Like to instigate or to Yeah, it's, it's a great question. I think and a couple things on there, and, and I'll hit your exact question. <laughs> Um, you know, if we go back to this idea that we've talked about around having control, physical being a base foundation for high performance, one of the things that I've found is having a community in fitness has just been one of the most powerful things that I can have. And, and, and I would even say, you know, especially over the last five years where I feel like my life has been more out of control than it probably ever was, <laughs> you know, it's, it's been the basis of both where I find my joy, a big part of community and, and, and really people coming together, you know, and I, I wrote, wrote about this on Instagram very quickly this morning, but it was, if you think about what we did and what we do four days out of the week, you know, it's five thirty, usually around 10 or 11 people that do not look at all alike. There are some people on there who are 22 that are you know looking at their first jobs. There are some people on there who are seasoned CEOs. Mm. There are some people on there who are special forces. There are some people on there who are Olympians. And and it's this group that's been able to come together and just go, number one, we come together with a respect for each other, with a respect for suffering together. Mm. And we're inclusive to if you want to play by those rules, you are welcome at 530. And it's one of those things that's just brought, <laughs> you know, just great joy. Um, to my life that I think goes a lot of what we've talked about. To go to the Crucible event, which builds on that, has been something that we've done for a while. And the the idea behind it um, was this. If you thought about once a year doing something that pushes your boundaries, Mm. and the rule to some degree is it has to make you scared. (laughs) It has to be a question of can you actually do it or not? Mm -hmm. It's generally better if you have to learn a new skill to be part of it. And the last part, and this has kicked a bunch of the things out that we wanted to do, is everyone in the group who wants to participate in it has to be able to participate in it. Mm-hmm. So it can't be something that you have to go be so super elite to go qualify right. for. But so, I mean, we've done everything from, you know, Ironmans to we went down to Seal Fit and did Kokoro to, um, you know, last year on on for the Remembrance of D-Day, we you know, swam a bunch of miles in the English Channel and then rucked to St. Lowe. And, but in all of those, you know, they've always been something around how do we bring our community together? And then how are we constantly getting on that? Let's be on a curious path to up-level ourselves all, all the time that we do it. And I think it's been one of the, you know, one, one of the greatest gifts that I've been able to give myself Um but two, it's one of those things when I think about both the physical and the mental that have gone, it's been a grounding force for me every day because you have to go train for it. You know, you're thinking yeah. about it. It gives you something to do when your job is absolutely crazy and you don't, you know, know what the next day is going to look like. Okay, that's a place where you don't necessarily have but I still a locus have of control. <laughs> and, and, and so, you know, that's one that's just been, it's been really really a powerful thing i think for all of us that have have done it but again in that spirit of continual growth community 
I would say very much being humbled by things that you're not going to be great at. So having to express some of that self-compassion and compassion for the people around you who are also not going to be good at it. Was there something that sparked this? Like this seems like a fairly formal thing now after the years that you've been doing it, but was there something that solidified the idea to you, like an epiphany of some sort? Yeah, I don't know if there was an epiphany that started it. Um, You know, I think it, it, it was a part where all of us just over time went, you know, I, actually, I take that back. I think it started as dumb as this, as most sort of fun things do. <laughs> uh, we should all go do a race together. <laughs> okay. Let, you know, let's go do a race together. And then everyone in that, because they came from such dynamic backgrounds, you know, one person would say, oh, let's go run a hundred miler. And then another person would say, let's go climb this. And another mm-hmm. person would say, let's go swim this. And, you know, so you started to get into this idea of just one very multidisciplinary, lots of different ideas but it became, hey, let's reshape how we think about this mm-hmm. of instead of it being, you know, sort of just this one thing, what's something on an annual basis we can all come together <laughs> that's going to put us all out of our comfort zone, mm-hmm. all in a place that's going to spur growth for us. Um, and again, I think really importantly, not back to just as an individual, but back as as a group of a group of people who had a, have and had a deep caring for each other and have each other's back and are there to mm-hmm. support each other both in the physical, but whatever else is going on in your life. I think it might be a common thing that we see, especially with people that are you know in and out of our circle. Um, that, that's why when you said it, it was just like, Oh uh-huh, yeah, totally. Yeah. Like a crucible each year, like something that's very difficult yeah. that worries you. So that when I wake up in the morning, although I have obligations, I got to, you know, get the kid to school. I got to eat properly in order to not, you know, fade away into whatever oh, fuck I really have to prepare for this thing because mm-hmm. I will not make it and that is I can't deal with that personally and although we have a lot of those people might give themselves those two I think that's something that's in common with people that achieve uh, more than like a mediocre life they they give themselves a crucible of some sort I really like the fact that you made a ritual out of it because there's there has to be, well, A, it's inclusive to people that also are willing to do this thing. When we say inclusive, yeah, anybody's welcome. Like, hey, come swim in the English Channel for a couple miles. Suddenly, the people who are yelling from the rafters about inclusive you know, behavior are like, no thanks, that sounds like it's going to hurt. Exactly. And that's what the separate, that's what defines the group, actually. And maybe this comes back, it touches back a little bit on the importance of some form of tribalism, but mm-hmm. the ritual behind that informs a lot of tribalism. And we, I think we forget what ritual is good for. Um, I usually explain it in, in the very specific sense of um, lifting weights. The only reason why we have ritual is so that we remember the purpose behind doing it. And I think if we establish the purpose or the why or whatever, then the weight is not so important or the lift or the, the, the actual event is not that important. The ritual just reminds us of the essence of the practice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's right on it. And, and I think there's no doubt. And, you know, to your point, I can tell you're sort of carefully going around tribe and tribal sure. and, yeah, and, yeah. And, and how do those things feel? Because I think all of us go, we know as humans and, you know, as, if you believe in evolution and, mm-hmm. you know, coming forward uh, over time as tribes, we are a pack animal, you know, we, we are, a, we are a tribal animal. Uh, and, and I think it's a, a recognition that goes, yep, that is absolutely true. And how do I get the best out of that? 
with also a spot that goes, you can have a big blind spot to that that goes, that means all I care about is my tribe. Mm. And and I think that's the caution on it, right? Sure. Is is how do you yeah, take when we both say of those tribalism? I, I I mean it's a it's a word that comes with a bunch of weight, and mm-hmm. and, yeah. and and oftentimes it it is um, uh, perceived as to mean you know segregated or separate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When in reality we're just saying, hey, what um our we do pretty good in you know we like our small community. Mm. That doesn't mean we're a you know, against integrating with other communities. It's just that, you know, well, we, we have formed a language, mm-hmm. might be a physical language, might be the creative mm-hmm. language, might be over, you know, this idea of shared curiosity and mm-hmm. we are works in progress. And again, we might have, you know, might be formed around that, but that also means that we are open to these other things. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, and, and, but, but the, 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 the sort of driving force within the community is to improve the quality of life. And, mm-hmm. and, and um, it, within that small tribe community whatever and 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 i i I don't it's unfortunate that the the weight got piled onto these words um (laughs) because then i guess we have then we have to have new words and then people have to go well if we don't agree on the definition first Mm -hmm. then we still can't have a conversation and so I'm just going to go over here with the people that um, in my non-tribe <laughs> community, whatever. Uh, I, yeah. <laughs> I, maybe that's why I am careful with it. In, in most sense, tribe means who is excluded, not who is included. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And there should be a word for that, that that considers the group that is in, not the group yeah. that is out. Well, I think you hit it. It's that inclusive tribe part. And, and, and I think at least for me, as I think about it, it's that part that goes, hey, everyone is welcome mm-hmm. to be part of this. We're doing this for a greater good. Mm-hmm. Let's also be clear, hey, to be part of that, there are some things that you have to agree to, i.e., if we're talking about what we were just you keep using that as an analogy, you're going to be up at 530. I was going to say, we yeah, train at two, 530. That's yeah, part of yeah. You want to be in that, the group? That's when the group that's, meets. That's what yeah. we mean. <laughs> yeah. You know what it also means? You are supportive of everybody in that group. There's etiquette you, that goes with exactly. it. Exactly. There, there's a value piece that, that goes to it. But anyone who wants to join... Fantastic, as and, long as I think it has that greater purpose to it. And there was an interesting thing prior to recording where um, we were talking about, okay, there's, there's, there is the community, there's the tribe, there's you know, this group. Mm-hmm. And, um, and there are, uh, and, and we talked about the, the, the exclusive nature of certain standards. Yep. Yep. And, 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 and choosing standards which allow people access to the group and, and those standards are more behavioral expectations mm-hmm. than at performance expectations mm-hmm. in a way. And, and, and I think the, you know, a lot of the problems with this, you know, ha- having, I mean, look, I, there's a, there's a standard of, um, well, let's see the, the performance standard, having those kinds of things, they, they are exclusive. They mm-hmm. do actually prevent. And, and then, um, you know, new people from accessing the group and therefore the group ultimately dies. Mm-hmm. And so there needs to be, and I think Mike, I can't remember Michael, how you put it. It had to do with a, a form of, um, a sorting process, mm-hmm. which is discrimination. <laughs> um, another word with a lot of weight on top of it, but we, you know, uh, uh I want the discrimination to be in, you know, to, to, to be open mm-hmm. rather than, cl- rather than closed, I guess. I, mm-hmm. uh, and 
I lost it. Yeah. This, well, I, I think I, what I you mean, said is the effort is the effort based piece on that is what is controllable. Yes. You know what I mean? Is 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 what that will be around. You know, it, it it's funny because we've we've talked about this in in numerous ways around the idea of, you know, you can go to just selection and assessment. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And and whether you're talking about that for a Navy SEAL team, mm-hmm. whether you're talking about that for a management team in a startup. Whether you're talking about that for who you want to for my let five thirty in the morning exactly. community, what, yeah. whatever that whatever that may be, and 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 I think one of the things that's interesting if we keep pulling on that thread, you know, does go as we start to look at um, putting people in non-domain expertise areas and just going, I'm not going to judge you on are you good at this or are you mm-hmm. not good at this right now. What I am going to judge you on are are you resilient, mm-hmm. are you gritty. Are you curious? Are you willing? Are you you willing to give the effort to be here? That I have no problem. And and I think it's one of the most interesting things. But but even, even are you willing to, to, to participate in this act activity, which is not in your, as you said, domain of expertise, Uh Mm -hmm. which goes back to what Michael was talking about is, you know, like, Oh, if, I have these talents and these talents and this other thing that I'm not, I'm not good at. I'm just not going to do because this is my identity. Mm-hmm. I got my Absolutely. fixed identity. Mm-hmm. So if you're open to participating in these things that are, that, that will require you to empty your cup, will require you to go from hubris back to humility um, in, in order to do, Oh, I see you. You can be in our group mm-hmm. then because yeah. you're curious and, mm-hmm. and willing. Um, you're, you're, you're willing to say, I don't know. And demonstrated, you know how much effort you're willing to put out um, to 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 learn mm-hmm. and to become knowledgeable, mm-hmm. which I think is the point. Yeah, I, I think <laughs> you're you're. Uh, we've mentioned this a couple times, where you're basically you have to be careful for what you select for, and we consistently get this wrong because yes. we think we can identify a feature mm-hmm. of human that yeah. we want to be along, but we forget that with that feature comes other features that we don't want. Like everything comes with the bad side of it. If I pre-select for just people who are physically capable, fuck, I'm going to open a can of worms because that comes with certain innate talents and or predispositions that I really, that don't help me grow. And so when we're looking at an environment, and that's generally what we're, we'll call our tribe an environment that we want to create. And that's what we've worked really hard over the past couple months to set up here on Wednesdays and Fridays is an environment that is controlled, but is malleable. And and that's the hardest thing to get because I have some, I have some features of human nature that I dislike and some other ones that I do like. And I have to say that, okay, this kind of behavior is not allowed, at least for now, mm-hmm. until until we need that behavior to change us or whatever. And so you might think that you would know what these are. Like, man, I don't like quitters. Yeah, I think everybody could agree with that, except when I really do like a person that can quit and then admit it. Because what I what I honor more than actual somebody who won't quit is somebody who can quit and be honest about it. So really the feature I'm looking for is honesty. self, Like a self-assessment and that that degree of honesty. I'm like... That's something that people could use because everybody quits, actually. Like, <laughs> to say, I don't allow quitters, and if you quit, you're kicked out, you're just saying you don't allow anybody. You're selecting for nobody. But if I say, I'm selecting for honesty, the behavior changes, and then the realization in the group changes. And I think if you can get really good at um, being 
malleable in the situation to understand the standard you're trying to live up to and changing with the times. Like we, we have to change. If, if we hadn't moved on to what Mark started at Jim Jones and originally with all these really like, oh, this is the standard and everybody, you know, two times body weight, really esoteric, well, actually not esoteric, really specific physical requirements for arbitrary human reasons just to eliminate the the kinds of people that went in there. If I make it scary enough, well, I get rid of the timid person. But actually, the timid person can sometimes be the most valuable because what do we know is that the person who talks a lot, is that the best, like, is that the most confident person? No, they're usually trying to make up for their insecurity by talking too much. I'm a perfect example of that. Like, <laughs> th- <laughs> this is, this is, and if, if you selected against me, that would suck. I wouldn't grow. Like, so we have to notice these things and then tickle them in a way that gets them to help us realize what this whole thing is about. And I think that has been the interesting part. It seems like you have, you have stumbled almost accidentally on the thing that we find so precious, like that we, it's this unattainable goal to have a selection process that gets our environment to continually change and grow and adapt and shift. And that doesn't mean proliferate. That doesn't mean a numbers thing. That just means continually push people in different directions that make them uncomfortable. And that uncomfortability comes back towards more knowledge for the group to to learn from. Yeah, well, I mean, it's interesting. So number one, I certainly have no answers that are better than anyone else's on, on selection. I think, <laughs> I, think, I think the point that you hit on that's the really interesting one though, is <clears throat> we can take both the highest stakes teams, mm. the highest paid teams, the most watched mm. teams, whatever it is, and our selection process on all of them is terrible. Mm. You can look at quarterbacks yeah. yep. in the NFL, absolutely atrocious. You're better off flipping a coin. <laughs> We can look at CEOs in yep. startups. Mm-hmm. You're better off flipping a coin. You can look at who we hire. Mm-hmm. Better off flipping a coin. That the, the Harvard study goes over yeah. the interview uh, process. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. All of them. And, and, and so you go, again, I think if we go back to what are great opportunities, mm-hmm. even just back to this idea of performance and potential of individuals and teams, you go, we're terrible mm-hmm. at selection. And so if there is even one thing to start on mm-hmm. around that that goes, when we think about great teams how do we select for that? Or when we think about great tribes or when we think about, we just know so little about it. And so I can throw out a thing, you know, as an example of, I personally think I have seen success when we take people out of domain expertise Mm -hmm. and see how they react in, in a place where they're uncomfortable, they're getting beaten up, they're doing all those things. And I think that you may learn something. Is that right or wrong? I don't know, but I think it's a different way to, to think, think about the traditional way that we select because I think it starts to go to those things that we've learned through the social sciences that actually matter to success. The self-efficacy, the emotional self-regulation, the compassion for self and others, the willingness and desire to be curious, you know, resilience and grit, et cetera, that I can't get in an interview. I can't get in a, you know, generally in a psychometric test. I can't generally get in a way but I do think, again, as we look at up-leveling our teams in society of a, of a real problem that if you went, how do we take a multidisciplinary look from physical to cognitive to creative to whatever and start to say, no, let's really understand selection, mm. you would up-level the game across almost every industry that you could find. And I, th- and I think part of that process is, is, is 
we need to arrive at a point where we can identify without limiting. Mm-hmm. Like, so. And, and when I, you say that, what do you, what do you I mean? mean? So, so ident- so let, let's say there's a specific characteristic that we are going to, that we are going to select for because we have identified that it is universal in all of these sort of groups or individual representations that we are trying to, you know, achieve. Um, <laughs> and so, I, I look at the, I identify the characteristic, but as soon as I do it, I have created an identity for it. Therefore, I have limited it. So it's like, mm-hmm. okay, let's notice, but let's not say it's the only thing because maybe it is that thing in relation to other things mm-hmm. within that individual, but also within the environment mm-hmm. they find themselves. And and so I keep coming back to this. I want the, to, 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 okay, don't put a name on it because... I mean, I'm about to get a for it. Let's do it. So what you just described is a non-binary cellular automata. Yeah. The reason being, and I'll, I'll try to explain this best I can, because when you say I'm selecting for without limiting, I'm making one decision, but binary zero and one. Yeah. If I pick zero, it already tells me that it's not one. So you need a system that can identify one but allow for others, and that's what a cellular automata is. It's a four-sided cell that one gives you other predisposition for others to connect to the top. So we won't go into that because it's it's a little bit esoteric, but I, I when you said that, I was like, oh, that that's a selection algorithm, actually. So that's what they use yeah. in mathematics to actually identify or, or work through problems. It's problem solving. Um, can, the, I, can I ask you a quick question? Sure, yeah. That, before, before hopping into the next yeah. one. If you guys think about all of the, you know, training, et cetera, again, whether it's in a gym or whether it's alpinist, et cetera, do you feel like, if I said, you know, uh, to use the design thinking term or mm. the design term of saying, you know, how might we be able to choose someone who is going to be a great performer in... I'm just going to say CrossFit just for fun. Sure. Who's going to be a great performer. Do you guys, with all of your experience, do you go, yeah, I think within 24 hours I could come in and go, never having seen this person, they have the potential to be the best in the world. And what would you be looking at? Okay. I think it's 72 hours. Ooh, nice. Because I don't, I think 24 is too short. Mm -hmm. Um, Because people can fake for 24 hours. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that's, and that's, a, a, you know, and I want to say 72 hours of exposure and that might take a month, Yeah, you know, or, or mm, whatever. That's a good point. But, um, but, but to be a, around that, per, I think you, for myself, I have to be around that individual in enough different circumstances to have a clear view, not just the, you know, the, the putting the best foot forward, you know, mm-hmm. where, where I can, you know, yeah, end of day two, I'm not going to wear my tie anymore in this environment because, you know, whatever. I started out in a suit and, and with my boots and this yeah. and that. And I'm like, okay, that's my best foot forward. But, mm-hmm. but I want to know what happens, you know. Uh, it, it, you in know, your PJs. To, in, yeah, exactly. <laughs> or I'm going to show up. I'm going to show up to. I mean, and it has been, you know, it's a very disarming thing, I'm guessing, to somebody show up in a onesie to a business meeting. Yeah. Because um, people just be like, oh. Wow, he's crazy. He's crazy, except he's also a genius and we have to listen to him. So therefore we forgive his craziness. But, um, and then when you, so I think it's a, I, I think I need a longer period of exposure. 
Um, and then when it comes to the characteristics in that particular thing, I am... Uh, I'm looking for recoverability. And, and when you say that, what are you, what are you thinking the about? The ability to recover from the completion of one task, not just physical, and to how quickly be prepared, be ready to address another one. Mm-hmm. Um, because ultimately this is, this is what, you know, I, I, I think the, the, the limiting factor in all of the sort of, let's, if, if it's a CrossFit type thing, it's a, it's a multiple, it's multiple events that, you know, accumulated become a long weekend event mm-hmm. if we're talking about the games or, you know, two day event yeah. or three day event or five or whatever it is now. Um, but it's the, the it's, it's recoverability, it's, it, which could maybe be resilience, but I don't quite think that's, that's right. It's, and, and there's also the psychological ability to recover and, and that can be from, um, you know, whatever the equivalent of a, of the physical task might be. And I'll just go back to, you know, my discussion with Payson this morning Mm -hmm. about, you know, the, the, this white room fastest known time. And, and he just said, look, I I said, well, you got to go, you know, you was, you did it your way, the hard way and tried to establish that as the way to do it. But human nature is going to, you know, go to the obviously more efficient way of solving this. So you need to go back and do it that way. Therefore, be the only person qualified to talk about it. But, mm. but B, um, I think you can, you I think you can just, you know set the fastest known time in the faster you know uh, start point start finish point. Um, and he just said I but I I don't have any desire to go back and do that. And it's already you know it's been two months or six weeks or whatever mm. it is at this point. And and so we got on this subject of desire, and then for for him, he's physically able to go do that mm-hmm. right now. But the the ta- it was so arduous and so big and so emotionally powerful that it will take a long time to psychologically mm-hmm. recover. And I think this is one of the characteristics that okay, if we can speed up this sort of and, and not by forcing it, because I you know I did say that you know desire is the highest octane fuel mm-hmm. that there is and and once it's spent it takes time to recover and you cannot force fill that tank you just mm-hmm. have to allow it organically to be refilled to get that that you know the, the the hunger of desire to come back um if 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 there's a way to um improve the efficiency and speed of that pro- of the, of recovering the desire to go back and con- confront something so physically and psychologically daunting Okay, if we can if we can improve that, then I think we, you know, many many things can improve because mm-hmm. there wouldn't be so much sort of downtime waiting for the you know, the creative muse to come, the physical mm-hmm. you know, uh, desire you know whatever it is. You're just yeah yeah well, you're, well, you're just like you, you hit on a like, bunch of ah, well no ah. there's a, there were some really <laughs> cool things in there. I, uh, when you were describing before you answer that, I wrote down. Uh, for like what you would look for specifically in a CrossFit athlete. The first thing I wrote down is how fast can someone process mistakes is the most important feature. Nice. Where I go like, you know, because this happens, you see the insecurities come out when somebody makes a mistake, Mm -hmm. like, ah, should have, could have, would have, we are already past the point. This, this hits on how close athletics in the pursuit of sport hits on enlightenment because 
the only thing that matters is in the moment. You have very little control over the future and you have zero control over the past. The only thing that matters is what you can do right now. And that is enlightenment in a sense. Like it's in the moment, atonement, atonement, whatever you want to call it. It is this feature of human beings that are better than anybody else. Are un- They're able to remove the anxiety of uh, the future and what might happen. And they're able to block the regret of the past. Mm-hmm. And that allows them freedom in the present. And that ability is almost not found anywhere. And when you see it, physical ability doesn't matter. Like that person can do and that's what I see in in very talented individuals. So that's what I would probably look at. Can I, can I, I pull you back on that? Yeah, How would sure. you assess for it? I don't know necessarily, other than some very contrived things, which aren't true tests. They're uh, abstractions of true tests. What you really need to set up is um, the physical part um, that would test, but what you're looking for is the emotional part mm-hmm. that gets tested. And that is personal for each person. And I don't think you could find that in a a short amount of time. I think you have to get to know somebody to know like, oh, that's the button. They have a past with this or they're affected by um, and that's why you need more than 24 hours. And that, yeah. And I liked how he described that. That's perfect. Like it is 24 hours, but over how many of exposure is a perfect way to put that. Um, you were saying how, how terrible we are at selecting. I would totally agree because we, we say like, we think of first and foremost fortune or monetary ability as like the number one, um, I don't constituent motive force. Yeah. Or, or, um, uh, what would be the word, uh, predictor of performance, right? Man, if they have money, you can do whatever you want, but money is just a tool. Monetary ability is just a tool that most often works against the person wielding it because, if my biggest tool is the most sought after, it is always the thing that I wield. So if I'm a new company and I have money, well, if there's a problem, here's the money. But that's not what fixes problems. Creativity is usually what fixes problems. So I'll backtrack a little bit for selection. Humans are terrible about artificial selection. Look at our fucking dogs. They have smash faces and sinus problems because we tried to create something that was better than wolves. And that like that fit a certain feature. We fucked up to so many animals by artificially selecting for features that we thought were cute or cool, or you know maybe a Dalmatian was good for getting rid of snakes somewhere. But now they have spontaneous spinal breaks, and we have to take we have to take care of our mutants kind of deal. So I think you're right. But nature selects perfectly, hence natural selection. And the feature of natural selection isn't input output; it's pressure, and pressure is to bring it back is what causes creativity. So with enough pressure, you have to be creative, but with no pressure, there's no creativity. If I just tell you to create something, anything, and there's no direction, fuck, that's almost impossible. I need boundaries to start to hyper-focus this intense ability, and that's what pressure is. So I need a canvas. I need a medium. I need something to say, hey, I want a picture of this. And then, okay, maybe that's too tight of a boundary to work because now I'm controlling what what the actual creation is. But um, in in some sense, I think for us to to select better, we just need pressure. Like instead of taking a CEO who has the experience and the thing and the whatever, 
there is a test that would probably work. And you're right, it's probably a 50-50 shot. I think yeah. the study you're quoting from Harvard on interview, like interviews for job selection is a 50-50 shot exactly. Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting, even when you pick that one on CEOs, because mm. the other thing that we know is you could have a CEO that was great at their last job, but it was a complete flop at totally. their next. Totally, yeah, 100%. You know, when you start to go back to those, I mean, mm -hmm. there's great, great research that goes back to teams being more important than the individual mm -hmm. or the leader on it of... You know, you can take a great team that's performing very high, and I think this has been done in surgeries, it's been done mm -hmm. um, with airport control or air traffic control, mm -hmm. it's been done with financial analysts, you know, that says it takes, I think it's two to three years to put together a team that can be really revving at its highest mm. uh, on that. But we know that teams, again, if you talk in tech, et cetera, which stay together for two to three mm -hmm. years, or we talk about, you know, in today's world with teaming, uh, you know, you may only be together with someone on a project. Mm -hmm. And so if you start to look at those things, you know, you go even judging someone on their past performance doesn't really give you a good idea <laughs> that they'll be great again Yeah, because they're going to be on a team. That team's going to have different dynamics until you start talking about bringing over full teams, et cetera, which also has, you know, just some great research on how you think about those. This this is a, a Shane Parrish thing, and we just talked about this earlier too, because he, he has this article that he wrote on um, on the Farnham Street blog that he runs, and he's a he's an intelligence guy. He comes from like the Canadian intelligence community, so he's he's fairly interesting. But he talks about the map not being the territory; mm -hmm. it's an abstraction mm -hmm. because there's too much detail, and we try so hard to build maps to help us process things, but we have to realize that that's a compression of actual mm -hmm. knowledge, and so. A person is kind of a map of a territory, a person who is accomplished in a specific area. You could even take Mark and we have an alpine problem. He might be the best person suited because he understands the territory, but he might not be the best person at building the map. He might be the best person at reading the map. And this is where you get, you know, oh, it's an alpine problem. Give it to this guy. Yeah, in the sense... But not really. Like it might take an outside perspective to build a more accurate mm -hmm. map for that model. And I think that's something else we deal with that's that's hard because Well, the expert always has knowledge that he is un he or she are, yes. is unaware of. Therefore they can't draw the map because they don't it's too much detail. Yeah. They don't know what they know either. Mm -hmm. Right. Like I, I I'm bringing this this uh, innate knowledge mm -hmm. to the problem. And that innate knowledge is um, something you know acquired, accumulated over time, which cannot be communicated in time. Uh, you know, this maybe this touches back on when we mentioned like musicians and synesthesia. It is the ability, like your ability to navigate a territory as an expert, means you have to live on a certain frequency that you've learned subconsciously, and that is the mysticism behind it. Yes, and a map cannot map that, like the. The drawing that I tried to translate to give to people who are uninformed about the territory will not see that frequency because they've never felt it. And yeah. that maybe that's the like that's the mismatch that's going on. I, I think like I really love that article because when you first read it, you don't realize how crazy that abstraction is of like when I look at Google Maps, I'm like, man, it's like almost like there's infinite detail. There's not infinite mm -hmm. detail. There is mm -hmm. not even close to detail mm -hmm. because it's not the size of the world that it's yeah. actually representing. So you don't know I, what the leaves it, feel like. At least back in the day, mm. a contour map mm. was generally regarded as a suggestion. 
<laughs> right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. okay, yeah. somebody's been there. We've measured this, and these, <laughs> and 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 this area is green because it's forest below the tree line, or, or, or no, it is the tree. It, oh, okay, it, okay. You're, you're, uh, yeah, I guess below it would be below the tree line, and then if it's if it when it when the you know you arrive at the peak and there is no longer any green and it may be white, well, it may be an indication of permanent snow, maybe not. Um, but this blue over here, well, there was water there once. Uh, yeah, you know there may not be there now, yeah. but at least when we made this map, U.S. Geological Survey, nineteen sixty, mm. this is the amount of information that we could convey in this two dimensional surface, mm -hmm. you know, with colors. And I always, you know, people were like, oh, I need the seven and a half minute map, which is more detail mm -hmm. um, than a 15 minute map. Yeah. Right. And so I would, I want to, for, for me, I always wanted to pull back. I was like, 15 minutes, fine. Yeah. And if I can get even further away, it's yeah. probably even better because mm -hmm. I know that this is a suggestion yeah. and that, and that says seven and a half minute map confers the concept of greater detail. It's a would, false sense of it, knowledge. Yeah. It's a false sense of knowledge. Exactly. Yeah. That that's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. I, I have, yeah, go for it. We can, yeah, yeah, you're totally fine. We'll take a break because yeah. I'll, I'll go into something else actually after that. Okay. We can just block this section out. Good, because... That one's really interesting. The 15-minute map and the 7-and-a-half-minute map. Because you, you, it, it, it does have the appearance of greater detail. Yeah, um, but that's not always what's needed. But, but that's not what's needed, but it's also... It, it is only the appearance of... Like, you still can't... You still may not be able to see the thing that stops your progress. Yeah, because it's from a different perspective... Right, like if I'm, and that's what we're talking about. Is well, and the other thing is that the map is always seen from overhead. Right, exactly. Like well, that's what I mean. Is, yeah, okay. Like, yeah, that perspective. Yeah, and that's I think rather was, than being down in it. Exactly. It was a feet on <laughs> boots on the ground kind of deal, which is, um, I think there's an old saying that goes something like, "There are no such things as facts. There's only opinions, okay. and there's no such thing as a view. There's only perspective." Yeah. And so when we're, yeah, when you're looking at data, it's just from a perspective kind of point. And this is, this comes back to that. There is no such thing as truth. There's just this perspective, yeah. especially from a human perspective. Um, I forgot that. That's a really long tangent that we could go into, but I can, I can announce a slight. No, we had a pee break. <laughs> yeah. uh, Hobie has not trained his bladder. <laughs> it got a little intense. And then we finally had to like, okay, <laughs> We were having a an endurance issue. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we were too hydrated, basically, and they, we they were they were testing me. They're giving me selection on could I make it through a two hour podcast without having to go pee. <laughs> I failed miserably. Very oh, no, you got, but you got close. And I'm pretty sure that with uh, <clears throat> some appropriate intervention, uh, you'll get it next time. You know, we're just gonna put a urinal inside the podcast. Exactly. Movie. We're just. <laughs> Just the, like hook everybody up to a hose and so you said um, when you when you said I just want to touch one more because I, I, I like brought something back to my head and I might have mentioned it before but you mentioned desire being high octane fuel and usually we want people with desire like that's like how else do you do anything but Naval Ravikant has this really clever thing that I think puts desire in that double-edged sword perspective where he says desire is a contract that you make with yourself to be unhappy until you get what you want which is okay we understand the finite the finitude of desire would that be right 
finitude? No, finite fi- nature fi- of, I finite. think would be the safe okay. way to say it. <laughs> uh, there's a tude in there somewhere, but I don't know the word correctly. But there, there is something, there is a limit to how much I can desire something but, until but this, it starts to do damage, right? But, this, but that's, that is inherent in the description as high octane fuel. Mm, yeah, that, cr- that combustible, right? It's, it's it well, up. it's combustible, but it burns really, really fast. Yeah, and okay. so it's great for initiation. Mm. It's great to get you to you know up to the point of no return. Mm. But you need to burn coal after that. Ah, I like that. Right yeah. there, there, or it has to be you know oil something some the, mm. something that burns at a lower temperature for a longer duration. Mm. But it's the high octane fuel that gets you that gives you the acceleration that you probably need to get started. And then when that goes away, that's when else. you start to dip into other sort of fuel sources, oh, like an existential angst. I think is what carries over because like I wanted this thing. Now I'm continuing to do this thing because I fucking hate myself unless I finish it. And that's a long burning fuel. It's like <laughs> There's probably an internal external part to that too, where you go, Hey, that desire, that octane fuel, at least sometimes is going to start as very much of an internal desire. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. But very seldom do we accomplish the biggest goals in the world purely from an external perspective. Mm -hmm. And so it goes back to that. Hey, it's internal. It's internal. It's internal. Until it's not. I mean, until, until it manifests as external. Yeah. I think that's really like that. That, that that's a profound thing to actually realize if you are somebody who has said in the past I want this thing or I want to be X or I, I would like to experience Y or whatever it is because you probably don't understand the fundamental laws that are going on inside your head um, we think about it like hey I could learn how to play guitar or playing 10 minutes a day no you can't there has to be something else like a frustration or there's a hardship that goes along with the accomplishment where there's just this driver where when nobody else is looking, it do, I'm not looking at a clock to try to clock in my practice. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying and that. Maybe it starts like that. As like I said, a timer, 15 minutes a day, because I'm looking for to do this thing till I get a positive feedback. But eventually what but, I want to do because you're only willing to do seven minutes a day, you need the timer yeah. to get you to do the next eight minutes. Exactly. And then, then I need, I, I need something. But, but I need that a, a cause, right? Like every, like everything mm-hmm. it, it is, uh, it, it is, it is something in front of you until it, I mean, it, it, it's an aspirational thing until it becomes a limitation mm. because as soon that, because sooner or later that 15 minute timer is going to be half as long as it needs to be, it, but, oh, you're or, still gonna, but yeah. you will still be bound to it. Like you have to keep mm-hmm. moving that thing ahead of you move the piece of cheese deeper into the maze and in in a physical training aspect you don't need the timer because your body will tell you when you can't handle enough like uh, jujitsu is the jujitsu for me is this thing that i want so badly to practice all the time i think about it almost nonstop. like where your hands go how and then when i try to think about it my hands actually hurt because i can't handle with other things like i can't even a I can't practice as much as I want, so I have to keep it at bay and acknowledge that I just extend the learning curve. Like, as opposed to being like, man, if my body could do what I think it could, I could learn so much in three months, it would be insane. But I have to extend that actually to six months on that same curve because my body can't hold up to it. But things like the guitar are, you know, I told you today when I tried to play a couple things, like my fingers are gone. 
Like I can't, they're calloused and I ripped off the skin and now they're so sensitive I can't push correctly. So I can't get the positive feedback that I need. That's another thing that's physically limited, but I can go further with it than jujitsu. I can practice for two hours a day on a guitar and it's absolutely rewarding. And there's literally no purpose in me doing it other than self-gratification. And most of it is painful. Most of it is irritation. Most of it's frustration. Why can't I do this? And I, that the curiosity becomes what can I do? Mm-hmm. And then what can I get better in this session? And then what can I look forward to getting better at? That there has to be this slow burning internal engine built on frustration almost. I think that sounds negative, but that, that really is a thing. I think that when I watch people who are very good at what they do, they do it out of frustration of not being able to do what they want to do. I see it with Mark. Like the camera thing is like, 50 millimeter fucking. Argh. He's like, but he's out there dealing with it, dealing with it. De- oh, there it is. That picture's off. How did I do that? It's not even a second of, man, I'm really good. That doesn't even cross the mind. It's how did I do that back to frustration? Why can't I replicate this? Why, how can I do this again? How can I like fix this format and get this 50 millimeter lens to work? He'll send me a picture like it's kind of okay, like, you know, like some passive aggressive, like I did it, but wanting to just show, hey, I'm making improvements, even though I'm not where I want to be. He's already back to frustration. I'm like, that's a really great picture. He doesn't care. Like, yeah, yeah, it it was worth looking at, but I'm on to the next. I've already developed that. It's gone. It's like the instant it's gone. And I like that idea because it's just like music. By the time you realize that you hit the right thing, those sounds are gone and they're gone forever. Like that sound will never be the exact same as it was before. And all you were appreciating was the intersection of two things. My finger hitting a chord and producing this sound that seemed right for arbitrary reasons. Yeah, it's interesting. A couple things you said there. One is that I thought we were talking about selection. Oh, so. <laughs> I well, told you we were going to go back and then we'd go back. Well, even even on that, if you think about that as selection, think about it otherwise. I mean, what you basically just described from a big five character trait mm-hmm. is neuroticism, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's the N in the big five. Mm-hmm. And and what's interesting on it is, you know, there's been been some stuff done at the special forces level. There's been some stuff done on the sports teams level that I've read you know, that talks about this idea of a lot of very high performers score very high on their end from a neuroticism perspective, Mm. which helps them a good deal, but it's also the thing that destroys them, right? Mm. It's the thing that goes, hey, wherever I'm at is not good enough, which makes me great. It's Mm. also the thing that makes me go, I'm not good enough. And if you can't take that back to the compassion piece that Mm. goes, no, I suck, I suck, I suck, I suck. Mm. I think you see that routinely, yeah. you know, in high performers. And then, and then the only thing I add to that, you know, goes back to, um, there's also some really interesting literature that's the difference between happiness and high performance, mm. right? And if you look at some of the literature around that, you don't want the person who's the happiest <laughs> to be the person that you probably hire for a high performance just, job. Yeah, You actually want them, if I remember correctly, and I can't remember how they scaled this, but it was something around you want them like 70% happy. You want them happy enough that they go, yeah, I want to go do this. The, I'm the, driven. They, I want to do the, it. I'm stoked. And but they get up every day. Exactly. <laughs> Too much but, happiness is complacency. Yeah, though. you don't want to be complacent. You want them to have some of that neuroticism that goes, this isn't good enough. 
I am still yeah. building to something greater. And what can that be? So Labradors are as happy as can. So same with yeah. like Basset hounds. Like they're just as happy as can be. They also do fucking nothing. Mm-hmm. And so like, I think happiness is overrated. Well, when you the lose the ball, oh, right. they bring it back. <laughs> but when you lose the ball and five seconds later, they forget about the ball being there. They just like, <laughs> like the same. It's like the same. And I love them. Don't get me wrong. I've had like. three black labs now they're one of my favorite dogs but they are just and one of the reasons i love them is because they're stupid happy Mm -hmm. and i see the same trait in humans like man that person is just so stupid that they're happy with their own existence which is just foreign to me like it's alien i don't understand it past that it was like well we're different species Uh, i also think when we look at happiness we look at it this like it's a destination Mm -hmm. and it it can't be it's like you need some of it only to keep the frustration at bay like you said like the balancing act like it's like but it's the it's the you know happiness is the the correctly played chord yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. so it is a fleeting Mm -hmm. sort of condition not a destination yeah Mm -hmm. like and 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 if you and if you get to a point where all of the things that you associated with happiness all lined up Mm -hmm. you'll find something to fuck that up for sure so that you can keep seeking Right, you because know, after happiness. Yeah. Well, well, I think it's why when you talk to people, and you guys brought this up, when you mm-hmm. generally talk to people who retire when they're young, mm-hmm. they generally go find another job fairly sure. quickly, and they generally don't rate as being very happy. Yeah. Even though they went, oh my gosh, the greatest retire thing I could early. do is retire when I'm 45. And then you do it, you go, oh my gosh, what am I doing now? Well, be- besides the brain being an efficiency machine, it's a problem solving machine. And if you have no problems, you will create mm-hmm. them. Absolutely. It's one of the easiest problems to create is is unhappiness. Mm-hmm. And then to try to solve it with pacification, mm-hmm. which is what most, like, well, no, we're not going to lie here. Most people are on that level every single day. It's just like, how can I be happier? Oh, pass it. Like, feel this one very fleeting thing. It's a TV show. It's mm-hmm. a joke. It's a... Uh, a night out drinking with the boys, which is seems like happiness because it's pacifying misery. Mm-hmm. And that's a really dangerous place to be because it's level. It doesn't change at mm-hmm. all. There's no oscillations. And I'll admit that it's very hard sometimes to um, understand that I'm, I feel like I'm, I have a slightly different format, which has very deep valleys, um, which are almost impossible to get out of. Because you don't feel like living most of the time, but when you do, you feel extreme bliss. And then, and most people would be like, oh, well, that's some kind of mental disorder. And I don't think that it is. I think that is how everything works is peaks and valleys and ebbs and flows. It's just minor extreme. And in order to hit that high mark where that sound feels so good, I have to feel so bad sometimes. And as soon as you realize that this is how it goes, and it will never go anywhere else. I'm not worried about destination anymore. I'm not worried about arrival. I'm worried about holding on to an experience for as long as I can and then working my way up out of an experience that I don't want anymore. And I, that there's freedom in that because, again, it comes back to control. Um, maybe what I have is extreme depression, but what I have is control over how I handle that depression. It is still there. It's still very existent, but... I'm able to once recognize through honesty and through reflection through help of my wife that tells me, hey, 
fuck face. You're being kind of an asshole. Wait, oh, wait. Yeah. So sometimes she doesn't just show you the mirror. <laughs> she hits you with it. Yeah, yeah. And it okay, oh, good. <laughs> okay. How do I work my way out of this? Practice, 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 practice. And eventually I can get back to that thing. Whenever there's a question of why am I unhappy, it's always I haven't done what I know I can do. And then I need to work more at it, which takes practice and training and yada, yada, yada. So to, to bring that back down to like selecting for anything, whether it's selecting for your own um, path in life, I think, uh, or, or selecting for a sport. Uh, sport is provided by on the same platform of selection for your own ness, I guess you could call it. But I also think when we start talking about selection, mm -hmm. there is, okay, I got this team I'm trying to put together, and uh, I I need a mercurial personality in here. <laughs> it's going to be virtually impossible to manage, but that's why I need that personality. Mm -hmm. I need for that person to, from time to time, strap a rocket to the pendulum mm -hmm. and shoot it off that direction, knowing full well it's going to come back and... Um, gonna probably come back as a hammer and wretched <laughs> you know when it swings back <laughs> but so the, the the characteristics like when we start talking about selection mm. i think we're we have to first be able to identify the task we are selecting for and this is um uh something i, th I think i think maybe that's the part that we haven't actually been able to, mm. you know, identify and accurately communicate yet because and, and it, or, or maybe it's because I think we're, I think we're pretty good at like, ah, if we spend enough time around people, we can get a pretty good sense. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, and I was thinking about like, um, maybe there was a podcast that I'd heard and, and, and it was with Rick Rubin and he was just like, no, we're doing this in the sauna. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was just like, oh, talk so about, okay, yeah. we're getting fucking naked yeah. and we're going to get, and we're going to get uncomfortable. And then we're going to have this, con and then we're going to have the conversation. I'm like, well, that's maybe how interviews should be, you know, mm -hmm. yeah. and not necessarily like naked in the sauna or whatever, in, but, but find, little hot seat. finding these, you know, how do we make that interview be better than flipping a coin? Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, and part of that I think is an environment. Um, I had, a, a story from a long, long time ago. Uh, Chris McDivitt, who was at the time was the uh, she was uh, running Great Pacific Ironworks, um, which then you know split became Black Diamond and Patagonia respectively. Um, but uh, and she would always conduct job interviews. Like people would come in to interview for high level positions in the company, she'd just sit <laughs> down on the floor, and people and just watch. People would just like lose their minds. Like, oh, I don't know what to do. Like, you know, who's what's the and and so when and this was a thing. I was just like, okay, this is this is the most sort of almost supplicating or the position of a supplicant um, that that you, you could do. And I started using it when we would do act, do assessments for movie jobs on, mm. on people. We'd just be like come in okay here's the you know here's one of the highest paid actresses in the world right now and all right let's make this real informal <laughs> let's make this real informal we have you know we're doing it a we're doing it in a gym there are no chairs because it is our you know our space or whatever but okay this is happening we are going to go down to the most base level that we can mm -hmm. in order to have a conversation or you know 
it, it, but figuring out some some way to disarm, like to to, to shorten, mm-hmm. um, the, shorten the duration uh, that is required to get them to expose themselves. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of a fun, like there's something metaphorical about that or even analogous, but there's also something really literal about the experiences even in this gym. And I see it like on Friday nights, if the group is dynamic enough and it is not always, sometimes it's really straightforward and dry and there's no real experience to be had other than exercise. But last week it was dynamic enough because it was a mix of interplay and teamwork that as soon as it ended, it was all like you don't need chairs because the floor is the only thing you can find in that ground level <laughs> metaphorical in the aspect of we are all on the same level after an effort. There's nobody that's mm-hmm. better than the other person, even if somebody performs better or is performs harder or because everybody gave what they could. And that is equalizing like that. That's the equalizer for everything. And there that's something that, is really reminiscent of how you set up the gym originally that I've tried really hard to put my finger on to try to select for that to happen again. Like I, I want this feel and I never knew it came from actually what you just described, but there's a, there's a similar, um, I believe this came out of a hedge fund manager um, that started doing job interviews and he would um, they'd sit down and introduce themselves like, Hey, we're going to ask you some questions. And they would slide them a box it's one of those like put together boxes that you fold in the ends and you just create the box and fold it. So they would give it to them like, here, uh, just put this together while we have this chat. Uh, and they go, oh, okay. And you're talking hedge funds hire probably some of the most intelligent problem solving mathematicians in the world. And the box was actually designed to be able to not put together. So what you're looking for, I'm selecting <laughs> for how somebody deals with frustration mm-hmm. while being asked personal questions. And so what they found from it was like, this is the equalizer, this effort, this will, this will um, mirror what it's like to not be in control of the world that decides what the market looks like and the decisions that you made are completely random. So how do you deal with chaos is kind of what I take from it. I always want to see how people deal with chaos. My version of that is through psychedelics. It's like, how do you deal with chaos is a perfect, uh, how you see people deal with their own head on chaos is the, that's the thing I like to see. Um, because people are always so, they, they want control over everything. And in order to, to gain control, you usually have to give it up. And that's kind of a weird, different subject, but something, I, I mean, it's for me, that's an equalizer too. Um, you know, 10 grams of mushrooms for somebody really is an honesty serum about how they act under pressure and when things are not going the way that they want. People say, you know, bad, especially now Denver passed. Congratulations, Denver, on your passing of the decriminalization of mushrooms. Uh, who knows where that will go? But people stated in their fear of this, like, oh, people could have a bad experience. You fucking kidding? Have you ever been to high school? That is a three-year bad mental experience. Like, and you say that I can't so, take this. So three years. So freshman, sophomore, junior, and when you're a senior, it becomes really so good. Amazing. <laughs> only because senior you, year was so amazing. Perhaps if well, my my high school is only three years because we, oh, okay. we're junior high. I think it's different. Middle school goes to ninth, and you got yeah. So. For whatever, whatever reason. for whatever reason, yeah, but it's but three years of hardship some, and bullshit. And, and why insulate people from having a bad experience? Exactly. Especially in a, you know, in a somewhat, I mean, 
you're, you're enforcing me having a bad experience every day yeah. in some way, like society in mm-hmm. some ways is, is sort of, I mean, it's built in. Mm-hmm. So, so that's not going to go away because mm-hmm. we're human beings. We're groups, groups of human beings. Um, and it is our responsibility as individuals to, uh, ad- to, to be resilient, mm-hmm. <laughs> to, to adapt to, to that. Just like, okay, I, I don't really, I'll just go back to your, uh, traffic analogy oh. <laughs> of I hope you die yeah. um, and that's not really what you meant no you meant I'm you you in, can, I, I had a friend I'm, who this <laughs> guys had some some uh, psychological issues that he was working through and was in a car with him once we were coming back from a little climbing uh, rock climbing uh, afternoon or whatever and we get stuck on the freeway in Seattle as happens and uh, and somebody did some something bad and he just <laughs> rolled down the window and like shouted out the window I thought I was like you know it's gonna be road rage and he goes screams don't you see you're affecting me (laughs) (laughs) just and i'm just like cal that's the most awesome thing i think i've ever seen it's probably the most honest thing that has ever happened in traffic ever (laughs) yes which like why why do we want to when we're selecting for an individual or a group or a team or somebody to join a team i mean you you described it as characters which i think is great because you need if we were all the same character, there would be no dynamic. And that, like, yeah. I imagine as soon as you said characters, the first thing that came to mind was Seinfeld, like the show Seinfeld. And you're like, why does it work? You have opposing characters and the timing is known and the goal, although it's a show about nothing, the goal represents much of life. And so it became captivating because it was dynamic. And so when you're creating this thing, um, one thing you you want to see how people handle frustration and the reason why I, I think I finally figured out why that's important at least for my purposes now is because if I see people deal with frustration it unmasks what their real fears are because mm-hmm. at the belly of frustration is just fear like and usually the fear is of not being able to communicate correctly and that, that that's the that's the trait that is really strange for like the inability to communicate how is that a fear but if you've ever seen somebody lose their voice or you can only imagine and this happened to my uh grandfather who uh had als um his brain still is 100 percent. like it's still working it's it's ticking over and he was a thinker for sure um as noted by the fact that he had to listen to on tape the entire history of the roman empire which is like a thousand hours long or something that was in like his last year of living. That's what he put inside his head and there was nothing that could come out. So the only way he could communicate was like some blinks and then, you know, he'd have a chart and he would blink if you point to a letter. So it was the most terrifying thing, I think, besides like drowning or one of these like, you know, actual permanent dead things is like no one will understand you for <laughs> for the rest of your existence. Yeah. You won't be able to say what you mean and that fear comes in into our daily life like it comes into marriages where you say one thing but you mean another and you get angry because you're masking your fear of not being able to communicate correctly so when we're looking for a dynamic or a team or selecting for certain individuals i want to see how they handle frustration because if i can know somebody's fear i can help them with that i can help alleviate that i will cause more fear or that i will try to be compassionate and understand in their moment of need which kind of brings us in a really strange way roundabout to compassion. We're shockingly bookended on this. 
Only if we end it now. True. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Hobie, there's way more here. <laughs> I, 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 will and, fo- I will follow you guys. And uh, I, I've recovered my enthusiasm for podcasting today, <laughs> actually. <laughs> so thank you for that. I was kind of, I feel like I was kind of in a death spiral or a, a, a lack of interest spiral or apathy have, spiral, I guess. Is probably have we talked was. about everything that needs to be talked about? And then finally we started doing fitness podcasts and we're like, this is bullshit. But, uh, <laughs> but we need to sit down and, you know, because we say we're a weekly podcast. Well... Except, what's it say? Recorded weekly, comma, usually. (laughs) (laughs) And we, yeah. Usually. Usually. This was, I don't know, I I could see like four different other topics Mm -hmm. that got brought up today to to explore in more detail in the future if if you would be so interested or inclined. I would love to. I mean, I think the, the first thing for me that's just fun is, you know, you guys both come from such interesting backgrounds, again, from physical <laughs> to, you know, I, I think when we first met Mark, I said, you know, or I didn't say it, someone said, hey, tell Hobie what you're doing now. Yeah. And, you, and, and you sort of went with the response was sort of like, well, I'm, uh, you know, this, and it goes back to your, you know, the, the point that you had of, you know, boxes and so forth. But one of the things that I, that I just love, you know, is that part of how do you put multidisciplinary people together that just mm. think completely differently. And I think, you know, you're just bringing back to that part on creativity. You know, it's like, you can put the same people in a pillar and a silo that know all the same things. And what will you talk about? The all same the same things, things that you talk yeah. about and you'll just you know, redo and redo and redo and redo, and you'll be very good at redoing, mm-hmm. but you'll never get to the, but how do we think about this differently? You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's a little bit what we were talking about of, you know, I think you can know every academic paper, you can know the best practices, you can have studied under the best coach in the world, and all those things will set you up really well, and if you keep doing it, to be second best. And that idea that then goes, okay, well, if we're in a constant state of progression and human performance Mm. and that idea, that means we need to get really good, yes, at the skill side of it. Yes, we need to get really good on the cognitive side of it. And then our biggest- those are the givens. Those are the the just the plays. Yeah. You know, and I think think as you guys have said, and what you guys do in a beautiful way, and and it's what I love about how you brought art together with physical and fitness and, you know, psychology- you know, are, are all of those things of how can we reimagine a future and what does that look like? Whether it's today we talked about the planet till we talked about, you know, how do you change someone's life who's overweight till we talked about how do you work with elite athletes? Mm-hmm. But I think those are all the things that come together in really interesting ways that we need to continue to challenge all of ourselves to go get out of your lane, get uncomfortable, put yourself around people who think differently, mm-hmm. And what does that allow us to go do? So I just feel blessed that you guys invited me to be on, humbled, and deeply appreciate it. I, I thank you for for those kind words, but also for being you know being willing and 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 also to like to to have you know invited me out to the 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 the, the summit just because like okay, I, I felt so outclassed. On Friday, on the Thursday night, 
and like I do, I told uh, I told Brian, I said, Brian, you've you've made a terrible mistake, and this look came across his face like, oh my god, what have I done? And I was serious. I said like. I think you've invited the wrong person to this thing. Like, I don't have any idea why I'm here. And then um, to, to, to recognize over the course of the next, you know, 20 hours, what you guys are trying to accomplish by that. And to, to, to the extent where um, I told Polly afterwards and, and uh, I said, I'm going to change my business card. And, uh, and, and on the back, you know, I have my name, maybe some contact information, yet another bar- barcode that's too small to photograph, yeah. of mm-hmm. course, because mm-hmm. that's okay. clever oh, as fuck. Um, <laughs> uh, but I think just like a- asteroid for hire. Just invite me when you need some shit wrecked. Yeah. <laughs> like flying through the galaxy. Just, I'm just going to come through or, or it's going to say I am the spaceship behind the comet. Mark Twight, the seventeenth extinction of ideas. <laughs> <laughs> I just and I and I realized like okay, like by by putting all of these people together in this same place and just I, I mean you guys must have just been like in the back with the laugh watching all of the different particles mm. bump up against each other create heat and light and conversation. I mean, it was a really, really beautiful experience. And so thank you for that. As well. uh, absolutely. Um, glad glad as that you well. loved it. I think that that's been a hallmark of one of our partners in Liminal, Andy Walsh, who mm-hmm. I know goes back with you guys as well. But just this idea of how do you pull together a community of the highest performing people in multidisciplinary ways? And that's, that's the magic. Um, you know, I'll, I'll sort of pull that back to a quote that came out of Cognitive Performer, but it was, you know, this idea of you can have unlimited amounts of money and without community, you can do very little. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, with deep community and almost no money, you can accomplish almost anything. Mm-hmm. And I think that's sort of the magic when you go back to the Cognitive Performer piece. And then you layer in people like Brian Ferguson, you know, who you noted that I always say, both when I'm with him, I always go, I'm the dumbest one in the room. Um, you know, so always very humbling. But, you know, who also has done a great job surrounding himself or it's Coleman or whoever with people like the both of you and who are those other people that you can bring them into a room and every single person actually does go, why am I here? How, how, how does this come together? And then at the end of 24 hours or at the end of 48 hours, you go, oh my gosh, how do I do more with these mm-hmm. people so that we can go accomplish some of these big, massive ideas? I, I agree. I, I went away with how, do, how can I contribute? How yeah. can I participate? How can I do more? Um, because I did feel like I had something to contribute, but Absolutely. also a ton of, it just opened up so much terrain ahead of me to learn and to be able to see, you know, okay, I want to go to the, that contour line and see what's over that edge and see if I can survive and come back and communicate. Well, deeply appreciate it. I think deeply appreciated for you participating in as well, just to go along with that, the number of people who said, oh my gosh, you know, the things that Mark had to say on the panel were <laughs> powerful. And, and I think come from a different area, right? Because you do look at your panel and it was, you know, you take one person very high up in special operations. You take another person, Loretta, who's been with James Cameron to the bottom of the ocean as an astronaut. Take someone else who, you know, I think was one of the youngest sailors to ever sail across the Pacific, I believe, if I remember Atlantic. correctly. Atlantic. Yeah. Um, 
you know, and then you lived take, underwater for 14 or 15 yeah, days. Lived underwater, and, just, and just Fabian amazing. Cousteau's rig. And, yeah. and then I, am I not mistaken? She, she, she uh, left high school her junior year to go to MIT or something. I mean, I just like, Oh, Grace, I, all, I just feel like I, I am the underachiever up here right now. All, all, <laughs> all crazy. And then, and I, and I know, and I know you say this in a very humble way and it's part of, part of what I deeply appreciate about you. Um, you know, and then you get to hear from, you know, arguably one of America's greatest alpinists who's been on, you know, very challenging things of this and has had to work through his own things and had to do this. And what does that look like on a mountain? But again, those are those intersections, mm -hmm. I think, you know, where the same things that you were talking about, Loretta, of how she said some profound things to you. I almost guarantee Loretta would go, oh, my gosh, some of the things that Mark said really resonated with me in a way that I hadn't thought generally in the community that I'm playing in on a daily basis. And I, and I think That's like if, cool. if, if we could say that, you know, all the, the, those people all, you know, came together or were brought together, were assembled um, as, it, as a tribe, as a, as a, as a mm -hmm. small community, um, I think the, the, the beautiful part about it was that it's, um, it, it was the best part of tribalism, mm -hmm. if you will. It was, the, it, it was not the excluding kind of tribalism mm -hmm. it was the including and the and the open arms and everybody virtually that i met had a level of humility that was absolutely you know and well had i it, were i not so evolved as a human being banned word by the way mm. evolve um <laughs> but were i not m mature i would have never expected that level of humility from such accomplished people that would have been me in my, you know, mm -hmm. the, my expectation in my 20s. But as I lived a little bit and got around some more of those people, it's like, oh, well, yeah, the people mm -hmm. who've actually done it are always the ones who um, are the most humble about it because they, they, they recognize all of the aspects of that. And mm -hmm. it's always the person, the, the, the less accomplished, I guess, that lack humility and probably need it the most. What do you got, Michael? Close, close down because. Well, I, I like. I mean, it's awesome to hear because I think about it in a very like fundamental way. When you say like, oh, when things interact, and I think at at the level of, I hate to bring it back to, fitness. theoretical, no oh. theoretical physics, but oh, <clears throat> oh you th mean fitness? Things don't matter until they interact, and I think that was the hardest lesson for me to learn. Is I. I thought that if I just accumulated knowledge that somehow I would be okay. And like on an Island, I could just like have my own thing. And I didn't realize it until like we, we kind of started this project that it was like, no, it's actually th that whatever you learn doesn't matter until you intersect with somebody else like that connection process. And that that's how we measure time is the interaction of two things. That's why it's space time, not time and space because their interaction is what's important, not each individual feature. In fact, they don't exist without the other. And I think no matter how much knowledge you can get or gain or ascertain, unless that interacts with something that's almost unpredictable, then then it doesn't really matter. Like there, there's no purpose behind it. So I like to, I like to see. And there's no way to measure. Yeah, and, and, and there's no outcome, there's no, there's no creative process beyond that so you you need the interaction um even the greatest artist if you if they created something and no one ever saw it it would be meaningless and so i think you have to remember that this connection to other people and getting their input and giving your output is the important feature um 
Hence the need for um, a, an asteroid every now and then. Yes. To uh, intersect. Bump, to bump into things and cause them to intersect. <laughs> so thank you. Oh, I, I mean, this is beyond awesome. Like, I appreciate everything that you brought to this. It really, it, it causes a, I can see our brains turning when you say things. And I'm like, oh man, like this is deep seated. So I appreciate you being able to bring that level of, uh, curiosity to this room and, and even outside of this room is that you just have a good energy. So you're welcome back anytime. The pleasure is mine. Thank you both. Thanks.